Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 26th episode of MGC, which means we've officially been doing this show for six months, which is outstanding. Because of this milestone, I want to celebrate by leaving the show's email in the About page on YouTube so anyone out there can message the show and come on for their own episode. So if you have a story to tell or you just want some airtime, go to our About page and give us an email and we may just have you on. But besides all that, I'm super excited for our half-year guest, Evan Gerbino, who is an entrepreneur currently working towards his MBA, and he's the owner of the Oak and Honey Woodshop. And today, he's come on to talk to us about his woodwork and the hard work that's gotten to building a small business. But most importantly, and what I find most interesting, is that Evan shares with us his philosophies on building a happy and fulfilling life and what it takes to find comfort within yourself. Evan speaks from experience and thinks deeply, so there was not one moment of this episode that I was unhappy with. So if you're here with us, then enjoy every second of this episode as much as I have, because it's been very valuable to me, and it can be for you too. So like three. Is that on my Instagram? Two, one. It this this is your on your Instagram. Okay, it's sure. on my personal one. I don't know if it's on this one. It could be. I think I think you want to look. It's I, up to you. I think it. I think it is. I think it your, is two. I think it's one of the first things I posted. How many posts? How many posts do you have on uh, fifty oh, okay, something? Uh, so we won't scroll for too long. No, I don't have that many. Um, I'm working on it. Oh there yeah, there it is. There How long ago did you? Uh, that was a long time ago. I think it was like two or three years ago. The picture is February twelfth. That doesn't tell us anything. No, you'd have to find my original. Wait, did you recently post? Oh, from on your uh, it, personal? Yeah, it looks really good in the photo. It does. I did a good job of yeah. like, making sure everything was black. What, what's the background? A comforter? Uh, no, there was actually an ornament under it, and then there's a carpet behind it. I took a picture top down. Oh, that's perfect. Um. Anyway, when did you? Okay, so well, we can do. Well, I can do what? If you want to get started, we can get started. So yeah, well, we did start. Oh, we already started recording. Yeah, we started recording. Oh, you did not tell me that. I said three, two, one. Yeah. <laughs> ah, whoops. You, you want to restart? Nah. Restart? No. You know, I, you know, it's you've been doing this for a long time. Fixing in post. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie, uh, can you? <laughs> you've been doing this for a long time, and I didn't realize that. Like, mm-hmm. I know you you've been doing woodworking, but you didn't start oak and honey until how long ago? Uh, back in February. So, so like, that was you saw it. that first post. Um, although it's kind of funny, oak and honey. Woodshop started in February. The name Oak and Honey comes from a marketing project where we uh, marketed Mead. Um, my first semester at my MBA program, we had a marketing class and you had to create a product or a service and create a company around it. And we had to do a whole presentation. And originally my Mead was called Mead for the Apocalypse, you know, because COVID. Oh, okay. Uh, okay it did sense. not seem like it was super appropriate <laughs> for a class. I guess not. Uh, so I... <laughs> changed it up and we worked on some new logos and I said, Hey guys, how is this one? And everybody was like, Ooh, we really oh, like great. this one. Oh, that's good. Um, so because I guess since we're already started. Oh yeah. Well, you got some, I got plenty of stuff. I'm so, so we'll excited. First thing. I'm so excited. Uh, it is the most recent meet I've just made. Um, this is so cool. What's it? Pitch black. So I like cre- like, you know, creative names and stuff like that for the different meads. Um, it's got a whole back label that explains like the mission of the company for, a little sweet, a little tart, and deceptively complex. This blackberry mead will have your senses abuzz as it evolves with every sip. Made with whole crushed blackberries. Oh, that's delicious. It retains the best that the flavors and tannins, which tannins? Uh, tannins. Tannins have to offer. What's a tannin? So, have 
when you drink tea and you let it sit for too long, you know how your oh, mouth makes yeah, that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that pucker, but it's like not sour pucker. It's like a, even with black coffee, it does the same kind of thing. Uh, actually, you have a coaster problem that I need to fix. Oh, uh, yeah, I knew this was going to happen, too. Oh, my god! You gosh. got two coasters. You're so cool, man. One with my logo. We'll show it to the camera. Yeah, we'll show it to and the camera. And one with yours. I'll take pictures after, too, to put it in post. This is incredible. Yeah, I was. so Look Bella, was. I was talking to her about Look that. We're both really excited about. Can I, I use it right now. Yeah. Get, so, rid, get rid of these things. I, I, these aren't even mine. I stole them from my father. Well, there you go. Mm. We've fixed your coaster problem. Oh, hell yes. So now you have <laughs> legitimate coasters for your guests. That's awesome. Uh, one with my logo so one that everybody knows I'm amazing Hell every time yes. they come on. And one with your logo so that... I love this. Yeah. Did you do this by hand? That is by... Well, so I, I traced it on there with... Um, no, it's, it's called carbon paper, right? Like, you know that stuff they used to use when they were doing, like, multiple checks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can still do it for tracing and artwork purposes. And I put it on there, and then I sat there for a little bit and was burning it. That's so awesome. That must be kind of, like, fun, like, therapeutic. Yeah, it's same thing I did here. It's almost like a cathartic exercise because it's an exercise in patience. If you go too fast, you mess up. If yeah. you go too slow, you burn too much. Like so you have to like navigate as you're going and and feel what the wood is doing as you're doing it. So it's a fun exercise between you and the wood and understanding how everything's going to move. So if you look at this one right here, pine has a really defined grain structure in it. It it, it right? They're big grains. And as it follows those grains, your wood burning tool is going to want to move with the yes. softer woods. Okay. So same thing with that. You have to be really careful. You have to go deliberately slow, but not so slow that you create these char marks because then you have to sand them off later and then re-hit that spot. And it gets kind of annoying because then you, not everything is, when you sand it, not everything is burned evenly. So then you're like, oh. This is so cool. Yeah. So it becomes a lot of work. So it's, it's, it's a... You know why it's so cool? Because not only is it just cool on its own, but because I spent so le- so much time like on my computer, like making sh- like I got all because this is an actual photo of me, mm-hmm. and I digital digitalized it, whatever digitized digitized it, and I had to by hand with my mouse go through every single piece of hair and stuff. So then it was cool thing about somebody out there, you took a wood burning tool and did the same thing. I think that's so wild. Yeah, so that's why I had you send me your logo. That's so cool. And how did you? How do you stain this? Was like so perfect. Oh, so those are the natural colors of the wood. Oh, so no the way. center strip is maple, and this outside strip is walnut, and you combine them to create these cool patterns. Which brings me to my next little thing. I'm going to pull out. Oh my gosh! Since you told me to bring things. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um. This. God, this is heavy. Fun duty. little puppy is a cutting board I made for a friend. Um. She was buying one of my classmates. She she wanted to buy a cutting board. So this is all the natural colors, right? This is Paduke which is a reddish wood. This is uh, walnut stripes. And then these are ambrosia maples. Uh, And it gets that name because there's something called the ambrosia beetle, which uh, burrows into the different woods. Oh my gosh, it's so smooth too. Not for long, I guess, but... Well, as long as you take care of it... uh, I could feel it, yeah. But these like different spaltings, what that's called, so that that discoloration, those gray lines, yeah, those are all caused by the proteins excreted by that beetle. So it creates these really cool patterns in the wood. Whoa that complement the grains. Oh, and there's the oak and honey. Yep, there's nice. my... Uh, Do you have, like, an actual, like, uh, like a stamp? Like, the burnt, like mm-hmm. a... I have a branding iron. God, that's so cool. A brass Branding, one. yeah, whatever. That's incredible. That's so cool. So, and these, again, are all natural colors of wood. I do not stain my woods. You can't 
use stain on wood. In fact, the only way to safely stain your cutting board. board, Yeah. The only way to safely do it is using something like food dyes, which kind of work. And I'm working on a project right now. I won't go too in depth because it may not work. Okay. Um, But if you remember the, uh, you watch the Mandalorian, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. The pieces of best car metal that have the stamp on them. Yeah. I'm working on something like that. Oh, okay. I'm hoping to get it done by May because it's Star Wars month, right? Because this is the May. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we'll see if it actually ends this up This is so finished. cool. Um, what was I going to say? You, uh, the cutting board you made for my father, how big is that? It is 18 by you got it on 20 inches. Right? Yeah, it is, it is pretty big. Um, and... There, there it is. Yeah, that thing's huge. I didn't realize things ah, were, like I know you can't really, you can't really tell by the photo, but this thing is gigantic, <laughs> and it's heavy too. This is no joke. Like when I was told you were uh, my father was getting a cutting board, I was like, oh, that's cool, and I and I went to go see it, and it is no joke. It is heavy duty. Well, it's pop, probably in the realm of fifteen pounds. That's a lot. Yeah. Oh, that's it's very lot. heavy for a cutting. I mean, this is probably somewhere around ten pounds. Actually, it may be a little bit less, but. Um, that has ash wood, which is pretty dense. Now, when did you start this as a hobby before you started oak and honey? Because the wood weren't burning stuff. So, like wood just in general? When you when did you start having fun doing stuff with wood? So, the first time I picked up... Right, I've been I've been looking at... I, that's a really hard question because I've, I've loved doing all this kind of stuff. Uh, back in middle school, you know, for a science fair, I built a wooden trebuchet. And oh, I, that is incredible. Yeah. Oh, it was a pain in yeah, the ass, but, too. but I did it on my own, right? So I've always had a lot of fun building with my hands. Um, I don't believe in reincarnation, but if I did, I would say I was a blue-collar worker in a past <laughs> life, right? Like, I <laughs> okay, love yeah. working with my hands. Yeah. Um, since we're getting things on the table, um, I'm just going to bring out the other oak and honey bottles I have for you. Oh, okay, exciting. Uh, this one's a normal tapache. What's tapache? Tapache is a... Fermented pineapple beverage. Now, oh. pineapple wine is not what it is, right? Because pineapple wine is generally pretty gross. You keep this at a pretty low ABV so it doesn't pull out those bad flavors that you get in pineapple. Okay. Um, is that the same thing? Same thing. This one's spicy. It spicy. has a whole habanero so pepper in it. spicy pineapple. Yeah. So traditionally, it is a spice, spicy beverage that you mix half and half with a beer. I brewed this at a high enough ABV that it is equivalent to a beer although normally if you do a natural ferment you're only going to get like how do you how do you brew brew this uh you mix water with a bunch of pineapples sugar in this case i used turbinado which is an unrefined more like a brown sugar and then i used honey so technically it is a mead because i 50 percent of the fermentables in it are honey this is the coolest brand ever this is it all works together so well so that's why i ended up using it for my woodworking is because i was like oh there's oak there so good yeah (laughs) it's Um, perfect so before you know, since the table's already crowded, I'm going to bring out one more thing, go, and then go I'll be for done. It. I ain't, I ain't stopping you. I like, I love this. And then I promise, show and tell is over. For all yeah, the I saw listening. your. So this photo of this is a piece what of the resin. Hell is this? So at the end of one of my okay, boards, see. I had a. It, it, it was where a branch was building out, but it's it's called a burl, I believe. Is is the proper term for it? But don't take me on that because burls are, I think, actually a little bit different. So this is some sort of shoulder or crotch of a, of a tree where a branch was building. And because of that, the wood forms in a weird wow. way. So if you look at the grains right up to where the resin goes, it's all these weird spirals. And it's because there's a growth on the tree extending outward. So yeah. there's a lot of softwood around that. And I ripped that out, took out where the remainder of the branch was, and was left with these weird voids. And I was like, okay, 
what I do with this, right? Because it was one end of a piece. I was like, okay, I'm going to cut. I have an idea. I'm going to cut this in half. So that's what I did. So these are two halves of the same piece. Yeah. And then I put it in a mold and I filled it with resin. And it creates this really cool, like, piece that I can use for anything. That took a long time to, like, get perfect. Like, like how it's, like, square. uh, It didn't take as long as you would think because I used a planer. Uh, Uh, Thanks, Uncle Mark. You have my father's planer. (laughs) Yeah. And then you have to use a table saw after you you flatten it and you square it off. I mean, it's not perfect. You can actually see where it kind of bends a little bit. Oh, I mean, like, come on, though. Um, And... And you're trying to figure out what to do with this, right? You're like, it's just cool, but like, you're like, what do yeah. I do with this? <laughs> so I would, okay. So I would love to put it in like some sort of charcuterie board, but I was like, okay, that'll be a pain in the ass because now you have to put the resin on each side. You can't use regular glue, or else you'll have these. When weird you say white tricks. put it in a charcuterie board, you want to like actually like make a board and then insert like, this. piece So into see it? how these are different strips? Yeah, it'd be cool to have this as one of those strips. That'd be cool. But I was, you can't totally use this on a cutting board because it's resin. It's softer than yeah. the wood and. To put it in a charcuterie board, same kind of problem. You have to figure out how to glue it. So I would use wood glue here, but then you'd have to use resin here. And if I don't do it right, it's a project. And I was like, you know what? It's just a practice piece, first of all. What are um, these valleys called? Uh, this is a juice groove, so although I've heard a couple different It'd be terms cool if in the juice groove it was this. Like, So if you don't you don't cut on that, that'd be cool. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how you would do that, but... Uh, I've <laughs> thought about sealing this with resin so that it... Because, you know, ju- uh, juice piles here and it would be cleaner, but... Uh, it's a whole thing, and it may not be the best use of resin. And I need to do more research on making sure that's actually a viable th- option. But right now, where my head is at is turning this into a lamp because I want to... Oh, that would be nice. I'm going to replace my desktop. I have like a MDF desktop. Let me take this off the desk. But uh, I have an MDF desktop from like a cheap... That would be table. very nice. Yeah. So, Yeah, that's incredible. That's so cool. I know you were asking everybody, oh, what do I do with this? I I know I don't want to like get too far away from like what you do do, but I know I talked. I think I talked to you about it, and maybe a couple other people talked about it. What's? I know this is a lot of hard work, and you're still learning. Would you ever want to do knives? It would be cool. It's not in the wheelhouse right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I figured not. But so. like, just even handles alone. Like, oh, I would love to try handles. That's skips. what I'm saying because mm-hmm. this would be an incredible knife handle. Something like this would be so cool. And that, that's the first thing I thought of, and I wasn't going to comment it, though, because um, I didn't want to be like, oh, knives. I'm like, bro, I do, I do wooden mead, man. But um, it's, it looks beautiful. And I want to return to the question I asked you before. When did you start doing this wood? I know you started with the trebuchet. How old were you? Like, how long ago was this? That was in eighth grade. And then even before that, in seventh grade, I did, like, a uh, track for a maglev train, which was pretty cool. But, like, you had to build a track. So I've been, that's the thing. Uh, and for as long as I remember, I've enjoyed building or crafting yeah. or drawing or, and even when I was not a good artist, cause I was not in, in, in grammar school, I was so bad. And like looking at pictures I've drawn before, I was like, Ooh, that, that's <laughs> ugly. Um, oh my gosh. It took a lot of doodling and not paying attention to class to get good at art. But you know, I've always, something I've always enjoyed. So I, I could not pinpoint a first as far as like, really getting into this kind of craft more seriously or, or when I even started wood burning, that was something that funnily enough, my, my best friend, uh, my, my two best friends from the Navy and I stay in touch all the time. Okay. Uh, we have a group chat and everything, but he, he showed me, one of them showed me a post from his fiance where she did wood burning. I was like, Oh, that's super cool. Like I've always wanted to try it. Cause I've seen people do it before. And I'm like, let me jump into it. And I found a, it was like a 
10, it was on sale at Home Depot. It was 10 bucks. It essentially was a soldering iron with different tips. And that's yeah. how I made this. And I, I did a couple small things. And then I was like, you know what? Let's jump into a big project because that's what I do. I, I jump into a project that's way too big I, same problem. all the time. I understand. And then I love doing that because it backs you into a corner and you have to figure it out. And I don't like not finishing things, right? So uh-huh. it, it bothers me. So I was like, cool, this is going to take forever and we're going to do it. And I ended up coming up with this. And I think I texted you or I put it on my Instagram or something well, like that. I, I, mess, I told you, I was like, hey, because I used to have – Excuse me. I used to have all my friends come to my room and paint on my wall, and I wanted people's art. I was like, Evan, I give me get, make something for me, and then you gave me this. Yeah, I was like, oh well, I already have this done, and I don't want to do it again. So, and you were like, you, and I when you sent me a picture, I thought it was way smaller than what it actually was, and you hands big, new hands, and I was like, oh my god, what yeah. the hell is this? I was like, where am I going to put this? But uh, I found a great place for it now. But yeah, I didn't expect this. This is incredible. It's a lot of fun. You did um. For one of the weddings, you did like a, a signing board, right? So for both my sister's wedding and our cousin Chelsea and David's wedding, I did something. Actually, I did another project. It's not wood burning, but I did one for Andrew and Megan's wedding that's coming up that I can't release because it's not yet. But okay, uh-huh. for Carrie's wedding, I did another project, right? I built a birdhouse with a latch and then I burned- Is that on here? Yeah, it should be in the middle. You can see both Carrie's signing board as well as her birdhouse uh card box uh scroll up scroll up right there oh there it is oh yeah i remember this yeah it's cool so it was one of those things that i wanted my sister to be able to use it for everything uh she's pretty modest so she wouldn't want something that says carry and all that kind of stuff on the card <laughs> box yeah and it was something cool like well what if what if my nephew on his first birthday you, you know you have a card box what if someone else wants to use it what if someone else wants to use it for a wedding what if she wants to pass it down so I made it like a birdhouse, put a heart, and just put thank you because I that was very fitting of my sister. Yeah, it's and then easy, yeah. the signing board was a project and a half because I had to take basswood and I didn't know what I was doing yet. So joining boards was a little bit above my pay grade. And again, I jumped into a project and figured it out. Yeah. So I, I mean, like when you're working with your hands, like I like I I feel like although I don't do this, I feel like when you're working with your hands, you have so much trust in yourself already that even though it's going to take a long time, you know you're going to be able to do it. Whereas, like, some other things out there, it's like, it might take a long time, but you're not, you know, skilled enough yet, and you're like, this might not work. I feel like you come to a point where you're like, I know I can be done. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, if I'm being really honest, it is unearned confidence. (laughs) Okay. But that's how you, so, there's a really good quote from, a woodworker that I really like um, called Four Eyes on YouTube. And essentially he said something along the lines of, if only when you give yourself room to fail, do you have room to grow? And I wholly yeah, believe that, sense. right? If you hold yourself back, if you stick to only what you know and you say, because I don't want to fail, I don't want to mess that up. So I'm only going to stick to what my strengths are. Well, then you never end up expanding on those weaknesses. So a really good example of that, if you want to look at my Instagram, is the board I did for um, one of my customers it has a J on it. And originally I did that J in resin and trying to figure that out. It stained the wood black. It caused a whole this bunch one? of problems. Yeah. So that first one, and I even made a post basically wow. discussing failure. I like this one. So if you look at the piece behind it though, like there are spots where there. the black resin soaked into the wood and I kept trying to sand it and you're not supposed to put something like that through a planer because yeah. you can see it rips apart the wood. So then I tried fixing it with like border pieces, even now I was like, hmm, if I put borders around this in a different edge or sorry, degree in direction, 
it can make the board crack. So it was kind of just a trying to salvage it, trying to salvage it, trying to salvage it. Yeah. Okay, it's gone now. Let's start over. And there are parts that I tried two new skills, right? I tried a different board pattern that I'd never tried before, and I tried using resin. And because I tried too much, it broke the board. So there were things I felt bad The resin broke the board. The resin didn't, but it led to the steps that trying to get rid of those resin stains led to me destroying that board. Because originally it was over an inch thick, and then now it's like less than half an inch. How many times do you... Like destroy a board before you've got it right. That is my first catastrophic failure of a board that I could not cover, recover from. Okay. So. That's expensive firewood. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or a really expensive coaster or something like that. We'll figure out a use for it. It's kind of going to sit there until I decide I want to do something with it. Yeah. I like this design though. What Did they ask for this specifically or did you just come up with it? So they wanted a board with For, their- for anyone that's listening, the design it looks like bricks. It looks like it's a brick mm-hmm. wall, but it's wood and... It's beautiful, and I like how there's little like uh, imperfections in it too. Like the um, I, I, so that's I like the spalting. This. So that so you see all those gray areas that are in the maple, which kind of gives it an even real texture to it. Yeah, that's the spalting that I was talking about earlier from the ambrosia maple. So that's why I chose that wood because I wanted some variation. If all the bricks look uniform, it does not look like a real brick wall. How did you get the bricks? Like I'm just, it's just it blows so, my mind. it's an end grain pattern, which means that the direction you know a tree grows up. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you cut that tree in half and then look down on it, that's the end grain because that's the direction of the the tree. Okay. And so you do some funky cuts and turns to make the wood that pattern, and then you you basically flip things around to make sure that it lines up that way. This blows my mind. So it's like it's pretty. It's pretty to to actually. I I say this to people all the time. Like, if you're like depressed, if you're feeling down, go create something. Whether it's you're writing a story, making something, um, cooking, make something. You're making something all the time. It must be phenomenal. And for it to look this pretty, so oh my gosh. It's funny that you bring that up um, because that's something I, I figured would end up coming up, right? Art. And, and we talked about this at one point. Your first guest, Sasha, yeah, Sasha, talked about she doesn't want to do art. She needs to do art. Yes. And it's something I 100% connect to. So um, bringing it back a while ago, uh, I did. I had some issues with depression at one point in my life of course Um, and it was it was bad enough that i was actually like hospitalized and stuff like that and i don't want to dive too much into it um because it is a little bit of a touchy subject but one of the things that brought me out of that right there actually two things right there was jujitsu um and the friends i made with that and art because i needed an outlet i needed something to pour that energy in that that because when you're in that state you really can't do anything it's it's so hard to do just i understand anything right yeah so art wasn't about art anymore. It was about survival. Mm. So I drew and I drew and I drew and I started making things. I started building things and I just, I just needed something to do. In fact, um, this was one of the things that was even in like, oh, when I was getting back into school, I was getting stressed. It was all this stuff. And I was like, I need an outlet. And so that's what really drove me back into woodworking is that kind of creative outlet created an environment that I could de-stress. I could, I, I needed a cathartic exercise to put all of that stuff into. So at that point, it really occurred to me and it be, and became clear that, again, I don't want to do art. I need yeah. to do art. Yeah. And I don't care what form it's in. Like, right, you said cooking. Like, you need an outlet. Yeah. Um, and I thoroughly believe it's something that everyone, like, needs. And, and, and as much as, like, I make fun of the term steam, right, because... It used to be STEM, uh, science, technology, technology engineering, and yeah. math. 
they added art in there. Did they really? Yeah, so, so now, now it's Steam. Steam. That's actually kind of cool. And I think it's kind of silly, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, art <laughs> is cool. important. Yeah, though. yeah, that's fucking cool. That's awesome. Um, what was gonna say you um, well, last episode I talked about this where you need a why to live and a how to live, and a how to live could be going to school, could be going to work, could be um. Any kind of education could be farming, could be whatever, could be working out. That's like you need to survive. But the why to live is mo- usually the art. The why to live could be your children. The why to live could be making volunteering. You found a why to keep going, and you're very good at it, and you have a lot of fun, and you aren't slowing down. And I think that's phenomenal. So when you say that you need art to survive, you're Right, and so is Sasha. I, it's almost um, if if you're the kind of person that doesn't need art to survive, you're lying because your art is probably what you're already doing to survive. So anyone that says like, ah, oh, I don't need an outlet, I'm fine doing what I'm doing, it's like that's because you're probably found something you're in love with. But everyone needs something, no matter who you are. Um, and if you don't have anything, yeah, depression, yo, it it sucks, especially when you have nothing to you know put your heart and soul into. I. Getting people have this problem today. They're on their phones all the time. They're you know watching TV, watching Netflix. People are so afraid to be stuck with their own thoughts that they always have something playing. And if you if you're a person that found that you're in that situation, you should probably probably need some help because that's not good. You need to find something you need to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like that's a big problem. And look what you're doing, man. Look what you're doing. Yeah, it's. I, I agree. And, and even I still struggle sometimes. Like, I, I need noise. And part of that is I grew up in a noisy household, so quiet. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, part of that is just, that's where I'm comfortable. Oh, and the other part of that is gosh, you don't want to yeah. think about what you're doing. Like, sometimes you don't want to be lost in your own thoughts. So, so noise helps with that. And I get that sometimes you just got to stop and, and listen to your thoughts. Yeah. So Well, you need to reflect sometimes, mm-hmm. of course. And so sometimes that's what I do when I'm doing this stuff. Sometimes I'll actually just have headphones in to block out any other noise. Like, I won't be yeah, listening to anything. Yeah, I understand And that. while I'm doing this, I'm just thinking. Because, it's, again, it's just a an, an active form of meditation. In fact, jiu-jitsu is the same kind of way for yeah. me, right? I call that aggressive yoga. Yeah, aggressive yoga. Yeah. Basically, yeah. That's, that's, that's Someone's putting you in the poses for you. There yeah. you go. Um, in fact... Going back to that, right? The days that I felt the best were the days that I probably hurt the most, right? Because it was an outlet. It was something to put all of that stress yeah. and that tension and that feeling into. And it was, again, an aggressive form of yoga because you're sitting there and as you're moving. It's like that brain plasticity. Like you're putting yeah. stress on your life, but you're actually benefiting because your brain's learning new things. You're opening up new avenues. Yeah, it works. Well, even when you're not learning, right? So. I've heard a lot of different descriptions of meditation, and I, I am no expert on the subject, but a lot of people say it's about thinking about nothing or thinking about one thing or just focusing on, like, the moment. Yes. I think that there's no better way to focus on a moment than when, you know, you're during aggressive yoga, right? You're thinking about, okay, I have his arm. What do I do the next step? Yes. What do I do the next step? Stopping, evaluating the situation because everything washes away and you're only at that present moment. And that's why, again... I call it aggressive yoga. It's that meditation through action. But in this case, it's because I want to hurt the person. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good description of, of, of what that is. Um, yeah, and how you just, how you just said um, you don't, you've done all this not like in-depth research. We've heard all these different things about meditation. One of my uh, former episodes with uh, Cody Jaffe, he talked a lot about meditation. And, and he said he changed his life. Um, but I asked him, I was like, but what is meditation? Because I've heard this, I've heard that. I'm like, what is it? And I don't know. I don't know enough to like give you an honest, you know, explanation. But I think it's obviously it's different for everybody. 
And I think that's why, you know, just like with finding a good therapist, right? It might take you like five years to find something that actually works for you. It it could take a long time to find out what kind of meditation is right for you. And a form of meditation could be working on your hobby. It could be writing, could be woodworking, and you're meditating while you're doing it. It could be sitting down, breathing, relaxing. It could be whatever. You, you could ask one person what you think meditation is. They're going to give you your answer, but you shouldn't just do what they say. You got to do a lot of research. And that's what makes it hard to get out of sadness, to find something you enjoy. Because before you could even find an outlet, before you could find a hobby, it takes hard work to get there before you even find something. It's hard. Oh, absolutely. So hard. But you know what? So is life. Not easy. <laughs> and as much as this. There you go. That's, that's the episode. So is life. Right? Everything's so, hard. I, I hate when people tell like someone who's depressed, oh, well, get over it and figure it out. Oh, Life's hard, give right? Give me a break. But at the same time, if a depressed person comes to me to help, I'm like, look, you're going to have to figure it out. Life's tough. But again, it yeah. comes from a different place and you got to be aware of where you're coming from. So when some like when you say get over it, you have to understand how you're saying get over it. Because it's not what you said, it's how you say it, right? That whole idea. Exactly. What you, how you say something is just as important as what you say. So one of the things I always recommend to people that are struggling with, right, just life in general is philosophy. And I think we talked about this. Uh, the podcast philosophize this is what helped drag me out of that hole. Yeah, yeah. It literally is just a podcast that goes through the step-by-step the different philosophers and how they describe to think. Because, right, everything takes practice, including yeah. thinking and how to look at the world, right? So what they do is, what, what, or what rather he does is he goes through different philosophers and each one explains their methodology, how they decide how to look at the world, how they, how to think. And once you start to understand how to think and how to frame the world around you, you can do a much better job of getting out of whatever hole you're in because it allows you to, again, know how to frame the world. So for a really good example is Marcus Aurelius. He wrote uh, Meditations. He's a Roman emperor. He's also called, I think, Marcus the Wise. Like He's a big proponent of Stoicism. And I know that there's this whole idea that Stoicism is looking at the world like through this whole, like, like nothing bothers me. I like Stoicism. Right. Okay. So then you probably know that stoicism is a, a little bit more nuanced about than that. It's not just the world is the way it is, and well, I'm going to get there's through. There's that it. one line where it's, um, "I must die, but must I die bawling?" Right. It's 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 about framing what you do and how you react to the world, and that's the important part. Yeah. So, um, I think stoics is one of those words that's misused a lot because people think of it as much more like being cold to the world. It's not about being cold to the world. It's about knowing what's going on in the world and deciding, well, the world I can't change, but I can control how I react to it. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I, yeah, that's definitely it. It's, um, it's accepting truth or, as, or truth as far as you can tell and um, deciphering it, reflecting upon it. Uh, I, the last episode I talked about values and about what you value as a human being, and one of my values was uh, stoicism. Um, and although I don't practice it all the time because I'm a human being and I make mistakes and I'm not very good at that, but it's one. It's something I value. It's um, you know, like you said, people will view stoicism as like being cold, being brooding, being like yeah, you don't care. It's like, oh, like this person, in my life died, whatever. Like I'm stoic, and in the inside you're destroyed and crying. No, that's it's not it. If you're if that's what you think stoicism is, and you got to read some books because that's not what stoicism is. That's very unhealthy. Exactly. Um, but stoicism is. I feel like, and it's hard, it's hard to be stoic, but once you're able to be, I'm, I'm stoic, you found peace within yourself because you're able to explain things well enough for your brain to feel comfortable and understand things. I love that. Exactly. Well, that's what therapy is. Therapy yeah. isn't 
telling someone all your feelings and saying, oh, now I'm better. <laughs> Therapy is about reframing the way you look at the world. It's it is it is a do. brain exercise, which yeah. is why that takes practice and why you need to look at different ways of different thinkings. Yeah. Because like everything else in the world, you know, woodworking, you don't just jump in and then just do it. No. No. I, I look up hundreds of videos. I research how to do things. I yep. search for different skills. The juice groove, the first one I did, absolutely disgusting. Well, this absolutely is, disgusting. This is getting into something else I want to ask you about. Um, have you found that you've had to stop or slow down because of burnout? Well, it's all about pacing. If you do too much of a thing too fast, burnout is absolutely possible. Yeah, I'm a huge victim of burnout. And that's why I ask you. I like to understand what people, how people feel about things. So, I think there's two parts to that, right? We talk yeah. about the mindset. A, I need to do art. So as long as we keep that in, at heart and you, and you understand that that's something that's there, it pushes you to move forward. But the second side of it is, and, and a lot of people go, oh, Evan, you should start this water shop or Evan, you should start a meadery. I'm like, first of all, my meat is a meadery. Sounds decent. Ridiculous. It's not perfect yet. I'm not comfortable starting a meadery. My woodwork is decent. It's not perfect yet. I'm not so comfortable starting a wood shop. But I also know that if this became my source of income, A, it would not pay as well as what I'm doing right now or what I'm going to be doing. And B, I don't want it to be my living because once yeah. it becomes your living, it stops being art, it starts being a job. And not to say that you can't be an artist as a career. Plenty of people do it and do it well. But I want this to be purely an outlet. And you lose part of that when you turn it into a career. So yes, burnout is absolutely a thing. The way I, I turn this into a, an exercise where it's not a burnout is by making sure that I keep it framed in the right way. I frame it as saying, this is my cathartic exercise and keeping that in mind every time I do it and B saying, hey, this is not my life. It's something I want to be part of. But, it, you know, you don't make it everything because once you make it everything, it mm. all those different stresses come from that. And that's where burnout comes from, right? It comes from that stress of this is no longer fun or this has become more important than some of the other things or, oh, no, I have to do this thing. And you're like, Ugh. so. Not to say that there aren't hard days, right? That's going to be with anything you are actually passionate about. And we can have a whole discussion about that word. But anything that you're actually passionate about, you put a lot of time and effort into. And there are going to be days that you don't want to do it. And sometimes you have to force yourself to do it and get past that. But if you do it too much, you can actually suffer. You know uh, David Goggins? Uh, I know a David Goggins, but probably not the same one you do. The famous Navy SEAL? Uh, no, I don't. Um, David Goggins is... He has an incredible story, and he said that like when, when I, when he was growing up, like his father wouldn't put him in school, and like they would take him out all the time because he had to work for the like uh, the bar or something. I don't know. His father had like a few businesses, and like he always made his kids work and took him out of school. He had a, a really hard childhood growing up. Didn't learn a lot, um, and then when he like graduated high school, he became like an exterminator, and he was really fat, and he hated his life. And one day came where he walked into a room as the exterminator and the wall-to-wall, ceiling to floor, covered in cockroaches. And he almost threw up. And he put his equipment down and quit. Didn't want to do it. And then he called, like, every single recruiting station in his area to be part of the National Guard. And they all said no, because he weighs too much. And then I think he finally called one. And you guys are going to have to fact-check me on this because um, I'm not going to say it perfectly, this story. But he finally called one. They said, you can do it, but you got two weeks to lose, like, 80 pounds. I said, all right. And he did it. 
and he ended up going, he went through boot camp, and he was fine, but then when he came back, he felt like he accomplished something, and he got fat again. He started talking, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I just, look what I just did, and he got angry again. So at like 30-something years old, he was like, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And I was like, no, 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 you can't do it, no, you can't do it. You're only allowed to take the Navy SEAL, whatever, boot camp, three times. He failed twice. He succeeded the third time, and now he's a Navy SEAL. And this guy runs 100-mile marathons. He's um, super fit. He's ripped. He has the world record for the most pull-ups in a day. It's incredible. And the reason why I'm telling you this story is because the most incredible, like, athletic American that's not an Olympian says that sometimes he wakes up in the morning before he, like, runs his 20 miles for the day. He looks at his sneakers, and he gets angry because it's hard to put them on, but he always finds a way to do it. So, I think this is a, and I don't want to divert you, but I think this is a perfect segue into the word passion, because I've heard you talk about it, and I think we we have a similar, an aligned view on the word. Okay. I hate that word, mm-hmm. and and here's why. Because I've heard far too many people talking about, hey, I want to find my passion, or I don't know what I'm not passionate about yet. So I want it to come. <laughs> passion does not come to you, right? Yeah. You you choose it, right? The goals without action are just dreams. That's all they are. So so passion isn't passion until you decide on the days where it sucks, right? The days where you're looking at your sneakers and you're like, I hate you. I don't want to put them on. Yeah. Right? And then you, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. So there are days that I absolutely don't want to do any of my woodworking, right? Because yeah. it's not, it's, it's hot out or it's cold. I was doing it when it was still freezing, like below freezing, right? So there are days where you're like, well, this is kind of miserable and I don't want to do it. But that hurdle is is what you have to get past. So the word passion drives me insane because I've heard too many people say, well, I want to find my passion or I don't know what I want to do yet. So I'm going to stop doing work until the passion comes to me. That's not how it works. It doesn't just come to you. You you try a thousand things and you latch onto that thing that you decide you get most utility out of put the work and in. then you pursue it so that's why i hate that word because he has passion that guy you're uh, michael goggins you're just talking david david goggins. david goggins rather um sorry the michael goggins is who i know is that you? <laughs> um so david goggins he has passion because yeah. on the days that it sucks he chooses to do it yeah i think i want to find that david goggins yeah, this is him. He has 4 million followers on Instagram. He is a wild man. I want to see if this will play. But I I feel like... I hear it up. Oh, let me turn that up. There we go. There it is. Is it plugged in? What the hell am I doing? Um, I think that what I'm going to do, when we're talking about passion, trying to find what you want and what you want to do, is that Amanda, my girlfriend... She is going to welding school, and she'll be done in, like, a year and a half, two years. So I think once I turn 24, that last year between 24 and 25, she'll basically be done. And I think between 24 and 25, every single month, I'm going to try, like, three new things. Because once she's done welding, we got to make big decisions with Amanda and I. Like, are we going to move somewhere? Am I going to go into a trade? Like, what are we going to do? So... Like you said, it put, it's work. It takes work, mm-hmm. and you got to figure out what you want to do because it's not going to come to you. It's not. And, and yeah, I, I do agree with you. And it's upsetting. It's, it makes you angry that it's not just going to come to you. It's like, why can't I be a prodigy and just have it already? Yeah, it's, it's just stupid. I get it, man. Well, so, I right? Everybody's like, oh, well, that person found their fashion. I mean, their passion. They, they must be so, they're so lucky, right? They found that thing. Yeah. They didn't just find it. 
it didn't just come to them one day in the shower when they were like, hmm, you know, where your best thoughts come, right? And you're sitting there and you're like, yeah. oh, I want to do this. I didn't just go, I want to do woodworking. Or I didn't say, you know, you didn't just say one day, I want to start a podcast. That's something I'm passionate about, right? There are things that led to that decision. Yeah. And a lot of that is hard work. And it can be hard work in the wrong direction. It's something opposite of what you want to do, right? So, for example, this stuff, when I first started out, was pretty expensive. The first real wood burner I bought was... Uh, yeah, I asked you about that a long time ago. I was like, I want to do this. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, the, 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 the inexpensive version is like 15 bucks. The professional grade that lets me do stuff like this, which is way better quality than that is. What about that J that was on your friend's the board? J too? That was incredible. Right? The, the, the equipment... Now, you can... Right? It's a, it's a bad... Uh, what do you call it? It's a bad worker that blames his tools or whatever. Um, yeah. I I, there's, a, there's a cool quote. I don't know what it was, but yes, but, I know what you're saying. You know, a good tool can make all the difference in the hand that knows how to use it, right? So, yeah. sure, I practiced with the lesser tools, but once I got my hands on a good wood burner, which a professional grade cost around $200 to start with, I think it was ended up being 220 because I got like a step up. Oh my God, things got so much easier. But, you know, that costs money. It takes time. So you do a lot of stuff you don't like to do to make sure that you were able to fund and make available your passion. So I worked a job that I hated for four years to make sure that all the opportunities and all the things I wanted to do were available to me. But it took a lot of work to get there. Yeah, that's... I'm I'm not angry because I don't do what you... I'm angry because you're right. (laughs) Because that's how it has to be. My, um, I know... I'm not an educator, but I work around a lot of educators because I'm a fitness instructor. So a lot of teachers come in because we give a discount. So I, I, I hear a lot about what they're saying about about the kids they teach, about their own children, and a lot of people growing up. And this is kind of almost, at least my generation is kind of like that. Um, it got worse as you, know, you go uh, further into the younger uh, children. But they are growing up, not because they're being taught this, but because they're they have no drive. They're, they feel like things need to be given to them. There's these kids that will want to be a carpenter, will want to be um, a mechanic or a uh, contractor, and they don't realize they have to buy their own tools. They don't realize it. It takes time to get to a spot yeah. where your business pays your tools. Yeah. No uh, woodworking shop, no metal shop is going to exactly. pay for your they, first welder. People don't realize that Listen, uh, unless it's your family, no one's going to really care about you. You're going to have to do it on your own. Yeah. It's, and it, it's a lot of work. And it takes, right, time, energy, and resources. And you have to find them and make them available. Nothing's going to be handed to you. And yes, you're absolutely right. We are in a generation of people that were given participation medals. Yeah. And so, yeah, do I have problems with the way we, we do things as a generation? Absolutely. Do I think it's entirely our fault? No. Is it no, our problem? No, I, I don't think entirely our fault because yes, yes, I don't think it's entirely our fault because you know technology has gotten so good that we don't need to try as hard anymore. You know, so once we it comes a point in our life where we have to try something, we think it's an anomaly. Like, wait a second, this isn't supposed to happen, but it is. This is actually normal. But from you know one years old to you know eighteen, twenty, twenty five, you're not used to having to actually do much many hard things. Once that day comes, though, you're like. Hold up. What is this? Well, you're in the era of instant gratification, yeah. right? Um, microwaves are a really good example. Microwaves, bro. That's right? it. Is, it is. It's that a really is good, a good example. example. I pop something in the microwave for a minute. 
and it's ready. Oh I don't my have gosh. to heat up an I oven. Never I don't have about to preheat. That. I don't have to do any of that kind of wow. stuff. If I want to know something, I Google it. I don't have to look through a book. I don't have to wait. I don't have to go to the library to find the right book and then flip through that yeah. right book to find the right page to find the one piece of information I'm looking for. I can wow, Google it. Huh? Right? So everything's at my fingertips. So attention span is definitely harder to keep because we're so used to everything being instant gratification. So skills don't come that way. Yeah. Skills take time. Skills take effort. So yeah. it's only natural that if we're used to everything else being instant, that the one thing that isn't, we're kind of shying away from. I wonder what this, not, not really planet, because um, yes, but I think that's too large for me to comprehend. I wonder what this country is going to look like in 20 years when like Gen Z is in their 30s. It's going to be on fire. I want, because I have a lot of uh, faith in them when it comes to like uh, being like moral and being kind and being gentle, but I don't know. And this, I'm not, I'm not saying it's their fault at all. I don't know what they're going to be like when it comes to their personal mental health, like like finding passion, right, or like being comfortable with who they are because of this instant gratification lifestyle. I mean, what's it going to turn into? You well, know? so I think part of what we're seeing is that whiplash factor. So everybody, the internet came, and we all started getting used to it, and technology going around it, right? So yeah. you took out. So all of a sudden, all of this information was available. All of this stuff, like Facebook, was available. We could start commenting on things without recourse. And then you had all this cyberbullying, and people were like, "Ooh, maybe that's bad." So then we had a whole countercultural movement. So like, it keeps going back and forth. And I think we're at the point right now because technology is moving faster than the pace of culture. It, that yeah, we're yeah. going to have this whiplash back and forth. The next new thing is going to come out, and then we're going to react to it. And then the next thing, new things can come out because you keep seeing it, right? I think cyberbullying is much as like, it's a thing. Like, I, I'm sure people like have actual issues over, right? Like, it, it really is a, a thing. Not that I want to, again, dive into it because I don't care enough about it. I'm not the internet enough. But, <laughs> but you look at that and I think it's a really good example of where technology went farther than we were able to handle it. We had a, yeah. So you remember all those videos that you probably had to watch in middle school about cyberbullying is bad? Yes. Right? So there was this huge movement to say, oh, we're doing something wrong. We need to fix it. Yeah. And every time a new piece of technology comes out, there will be that reaction that'll be like, oh, maybe we took that too far. And it's moving at a faster pace. There's new things all the time now. Yes, the, the, the longer you're alive, the the more you realize that we don't know what, what we're doing at all. No clue. We have no clue what we're doing. Like, you see people like, I, although I'm very excited, you see people like Elon Musk coming up with ways to put a computer in your brain. I'm like, oh, wow, they're going to be able to fix Alzheimer's and blindness and all that stuff, but to like, wait a second, <laughs> maybe this isn't a good idea. Yeah, he's, I like, I mean, I don't know if I like Elon Musk. He's kind of insane. He's entertaining. Well, he just, he's he just also... he just came out and told us that he has Asperger's, so he's kind of, he said that's why he's eccentric. That's what he said, at least. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's on that spectrum. I also wouldn't be surprised if he was manic, Um, like from like an, from my one abnormal psych class, I can totally evaluate yeah. his condition. Oh, please, please um, do. <laughs> no, I can't. I, I have no, I just know what I learned from a textbook, but. Um, I would say he's probably somewhere in the realm of like manic and bipolar just because you, if you look at his management style or any reports. Oh, and like his tweets that he said. Remember one time in Chile there was that, I think it was Chile, there was a flood in a cave and like a whole so children's soccer team got trapped like underwater basically. And he was angry, Elon Musk, he was angry that they weren't letting him save the kids that he called one of the divers a pedophile. Yeah. On Twitter. Again. Like, it, what are you, what is happening? It's it's an ego thing. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. Um. But there's also studies that show that people who are eccentric, because of those I mean, like you're doing something right, right? Like they because of those abnormalities, they're able to reach things that other people can't. At the same time, 
other people with similar abnormalities hit lows that other people can't either. So yeah. it's kind of like a, it's a weird just thing. Like out of all the people that could be the richest man in the world, I'm happy it's him. <laughs> yeah, I guess we could be worse off. We could definitely be worse off. Definitely. We could have Jeff Bezos still. Yeah, we still have him. I'm like, he's not really, he's not even doing anything, I don't feel like. So it's like, he's kind of just, he he won. He won the game. So he's like, all right, I'm done. Um, as far as I know anyway. Um, but Elon Musk, he's he's trying. I mean, like, he actually wants the world to get better because when he makes like plans for like new Tesla cars and how to make new batteries and stuff, they're like basically open. So, like, he lets other people see him for free. Oh, yeah. He he uh, he gave out the plans to the, the Tesla, right? At one yeah. point, I think. So is he crazy? Yes. Is he a good guy? Probably not. Does he want to make the world a better place? I think so. Yeah. I mean, like, the, I think the question is, you want to make the world a better place, but by what means? You know, that's that's where that's where it comes comes down to. Because is it is it by any means necessary? Because I don't wow. know, man. Um, otherwise, though, he's doing pretty good. I like him. Depends on the day. Dep- I get it. Depends on depends the day. on whether or not he tweets out the stock I have. Um, the <laughs> tweet tweets out what? The stock I have. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I, the the way we're growing up. Or I mean, like we've kind of. I mean, like we're still growing up technically. Like, just you grow up every day, no matter how old you are. But adolescence, the way they're growing up, I I feel like I feel like they're missing out on a lot because they're getting too much of everything. Because when you get so when you get so much of everything, you don't know where to look, so you you don't narrow down who you are. I feel like it's too much. It's, it's overload. You yeah, know? I mean, I definitely think that we're taking in information way faster than we're able to process. I mean, technology is not something we evolved with. You look at any other animal, right? Yeah. And it took a really long time, hundreds of thousands of years to get to them where they were. Okay. Yeah. We are creating tech uh, technology way faster than evolution. And we can, can handle, evolve. Right? Absolutely. Um, and that's both from a cultural perspective and that's a genetic perspective. We are, we are moving faster than we can keep up with. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big problem. And you know, I don't want to get too conspiratorial, but that's why a lot of people say like the next step in human evolution is robotics because we're going to our technology and our plan our planet is getting older than we're getting smarter and um our bodies are getting um more obsolete uh faster than uh we're getting smarter. So something's eventually going to have to give and like and I'm not talking about like Oh, we're going to be cyborgs, but even just like putting like a sleeve over your heart to stop uh, palpitations, you know, like it, it electrically shocks you or like doing the Elon Musk brain transplant. Like we're eventually going to ha- be reliant on technology because evolution isn't fast enough. And a lot of people are saying that. And I don't know if that's going to be the next step in human evolution, but it's, yeah. it's interesting to think about. I mean, I don't think that we're going to have a dystopian society built off of augmentation. I don't, th- I don't augmentations think so. I don't think it's like going to be a, dystopian. No, like of uh, what's that not. movie, Repo Man, where the guy comes out and like comes after people? I don't know if I saw that. I know uh, it. it's like from I think the early two thousands, maybe even the late nineties. It's Repo like a movie. Man. Oh yeah, it's like a whole thing about you know people get <laughs> augmentations, okay, right? Yeah. And if you can't pay for it, a Repo Man comes. Oh, and what? Takes it from you. Oh, that's horrible. Like if you get a a some sort of cyber uh, like. Cybernetic, cybernetic uh, heart. I think is what he has an issue with. Uh, so like, like give, it, give it back. Yep. Oh my like, god. I, I think. I, th- oh, I don't think. Horrible. Oh yeah, it's like a whole thing. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, <laughs> IPs that are built around that idea. Yeah. Because um, it's scary. Because it's scary. Oh, it's terrifying. And it's not impossible. No. And that's why it's scary. It's like the whole, uh, you know, uh, not Total Recall. Uh, what's a Tom Cruise? Um, it was a book. Uh, 
with the precogs. Oh, um, uh, Minority Report. Yes, that one. That's we don't have mutated humans that could like say, oh, someone's about to murder someone. But we do have you know things happening like at least in like other countries where it's like you can report someone because you think they might do something, and then they go and they get into legal trouble. I mean, like so. There's a lot of uh, fear that we're going to dystopians, and I don't think we ever will. I think I always think, you know, good or like freedom will triumph, no matter how long it takes. But um, it's it's scary with uh, the way the generations are going. More and more people have a lot more, not extreme, but they feel like they're saving themselves the trouble of uh, terror and fear by putting more cushions on, like like. Uh, the, the the paychecks we all get, like, um from the government. It's like, we can go out and work now, at least, because things are getting safer, but a lot of people don't want to, mm-hmm. because it's easier to not. And I feel like a lot of young people are like, oh, why can't we do communism? Like, I, let me, uh, help me live on my own. Like, Well, we can get know. a whole conversation about how communism literally has never worked. <laughs> I, made a, I made a TikTok post, and the title was, Communism Doesn't Work, and it's my most popular TikTok, because it has hundreds of comments on people arguing whether it does or does not work. Well, communism doesn't it's work like, because it's happening. People. It has nothing That's to do what with I'm saying. It has nothing to do with the economic because people aren't good. <laughs> right? It's one of those things where everyone's equal but some people are more equal than Yeah, uh, Animal, Animal Farm. Farm. Animal yep. Farm right there. I love that book. Um it's, it's like 80 pages. It's so small. It's so small. It goes over a lot of people's heads when they read it because they just think it's about a farm, especially when because they only always ever do it in like grade school. I'm like, no one's old enough to understand. Yeah, I don't that. know. Yeah. But I love that book. I think at least older people should read it because it it's it's, it's super easy to read too. Yeah. It it goes by in a in a flash. You could if if you read like ten pages a day, you could read it in a week. Yeah. Yeah. It it's small. Eight days, right? Eight, eight pages. I think it's eighty pages. I'm, like I'm not sure. But it's Communism as a system is beautiful. I mean, you look at Marxist's whole thing, like, yeah, it's actually quite elegant. On paper, it's the perfect system. And then you factor in people. Yeah. Well, that's what I said in the TikTok. I said the only way um, communism can work is if we had, like, benevolency. Like, if we had everyone, if everyone was just as kind as the last person, if we all loved each other equally. But that'll never happen. That'll never happen. So I, it blows my mind when we have young people, even people my age, like 23, 24 years old, saying they want communism. And a lot of it is because, like we were saying before, the instant gratification has made them feel like they, if they work hard for something, it's not their fault that they feel like garbage. The world just shouldn't be that way because I've never felt like this anymore, like before in my life. That's well, what. let's go back to stoicism. Yeah. It's not about how the world reacts to us. It's about how we react to yes. the world. Yes. So, oh, look at us. Look uh, at us go. We're so go. cool. Bring it full circle. <laughs> full circle. So, and that's that's part of my problem with socialism is it's all fun and games until uh, we run out of somebody else's money. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, do I believe that there should be social programs? Absolutely. Oh, I do too. Like I was talking Within to this. Within reason. There's this uh, man that I work around. He's in his 60s. And uh, he works for UPS. And he has for most of his life. And I was telling him how, like, like he's he's uh, more conservative. but And... um. I don't, I'm young. I don't really know what I am. But I was telling him that, like, I would actually be okay. Like, I don't make a lot of money. I'm a part-time worker. I would be okay with paying more taxes if it meant people that couldn't afford healthcare get it. Like, I would be okay with some social programs. Of course I would. But um, all not all of them. Not all no, of them. And, again, 
the problem is people. You look at a lot of those bills and stuff like that. The reason like the most recent uh, stimulus package cost so much is because half the money wasn't. It was like going into weird places. Like I think one of the marks was like something so weird. something in Venezuela, and you're if, like, huh? I for one, I think the first stimulus stimulus package. Um, if we divided that amongst 350 million people, and Okay, if we did that between between 350 million people in America, every person would get seventeen thousand dollars. But then subtract the like fifty million that are children, and then subtract the um other like thirty million that are residents and not citizens. People would get actually a lot more. So it's like, but we so that money's going somewhere. But we gave it to like the airliners and like uh hedge fund. Like what's going on? Yeah. Going so on? so again, it's and that's part of my problem just government in general uh, i i yeah right so i hate both the republican right, the party fbi just entered the show yeah what's up guys okay. i hate all of you um <laughs> it's you know it's funny too and i was having this conversation with somebody last week i'm like a i'm not anti-establishment but i'm anti-establishment enough that it was kind of weird that i decided to go into the military at one point in my life that was i was <laughs> that was fun when i went with you guys that was cool because i remember yeah, yeah the naval cool. academy is cool um weird place i have mixed feelings about it but um, but to go back to what we were just talking about, right? So I think that there should be a lot of separation between like what we do as people and what the government does. And I think there should be safety nets, right? So you go back to the whole point of government and we look at, um, crap, I did a whole paper that included this guy. Um, but you, you look at the idea of the, the government and that social contract, uh, you look at the state of nature as it was described by a couple different philosophers and, and, uh, there's a, a a paper called the Leviathan, and essentially I think I've heard about that. Yeah, I think it's Hobbes. You have to, I think Thomas Hobbes. Thomas Hobbes. Yeah, you're gonna have to double check me on that one because it's been a while since I took that class and it was a brain dump afterwards. But it was one of those things that you discuss and you and you look at how people are in the state of nature, what the social contract with you and the government is. Basically, in the state of nature, there are no rules. What's to say that I don't own all of this recording stuff? Like, you know what? Marky, I want this. It's mine now. I'm going to kill you over it, right? That's yeah. that's the state of, yeah, Thomas Hobbes. Um, that's the state of nature. So the job of the Leviathan is to assure, ensure that you and I don't kill each other over this table. That is their job. Is and that we, like government? Is that what that? Yeah, so that's supposed to be the, the government, the monarch. So he was talking about the, the role of a monarch and stuff like that because I think part of that too is talking about how Sometimes the government overextends its hand, but it's essentially supposed to be this monster party that is supposed to ensure yeah. that we respect each other's boundaries. We Wait, give up some of our freedoms. Yeah. You know, that's why I have a problem with, like, big tech is that I get angry with the relationship big tech has with the government because – and I get, I get an argument with this with uh, liberals and conservatives. They both disagree with me. I don't know why conservatives disagree with me. Um, I might understand why liberals might, but I also don't really, which is – the government really should only be there to protect my rights, the rights that they uh, gave to me, the rights that say, hey, th we've chosen that all humans have these rights. I will protect them. But then when, like, um, not, that this hap not that this has happened to me, but, like, when Facebook um, kicks people off for non-threatening words, for just opinions, it's like, but that's my free speech. The government should step in. But then people say, but it's a private company. Yeah, my government's there to protect my rights. Well, that's so my opinion. That's my issue with Twitter is because Facebook. Well, I'm, I use Facebook as a placeholder for all things. Though. Well, Facebook is a private entity. So I'll give them that. Twitter receives government funding. 
So it becomes kind of a problem when they start banning people for their views. Now, there are user agreement things. If you start spouting hate speech, like that becomes a problem. But who is to define where that line is? Now, again, you enter the human error. Yes. But I'm saying I, I feel like if my government was made to protect my rights and almost kind of for nothing else but that, why aren't they protecting my rights? Even if it's, and this is my, this is probably where I disagree with uh, a lot of people. Even if it's a private company, I want them to protect my rights. Because like the 14th Amendment, like equal under the law, even though it's a private company, it's not the law. I want to be treated equally just like every other person, as long as I'm not harming someone, of course. That's why I think they should protect my rights. You're, again, it's a, it's a, it's a complicated subject. It is. And it's not like we're going to fix it in the next X amount of minutes. Yeah. But so, but I, what I do want to go back to, right, the role of, and this is where the, the conversation as far as um, how much the government steps in becomes a little bit more complex and stuff like that is, okay, how do we define rights? Um, well, a lot of people, including myself, believe that a basic human right and privilege is the right to sustenance, housing, right? Like all those basic needs, right? Your basic needs need to be met. Well, there are some people who are in a state or in a, in a point where they can't reach that um, for whatever reason. And so I think there should be a safety net at one point to protect those people so that they still have those basic human rights and privileges. At the same time, we can't go so far as to keep those people in it because it's easier to stay than it is to go. And so welfare is kind of a weird subject in the fact that in some cases it's absolutely necessary. You take a single mom who maybe has three kids and the, uh, yeah. the father's no longer present. Well, how does she take care of those kids and at the same time yeah. go to work and do all that stuff? Like We're she, not worried about the mom. We're about the children. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so all of them kind of need some help. Absolutely. Yeah. You go to the case where it's a stable family and someone's not working where they could be working and should be working and they just, you know, are chilling out at home. But I will argue that that's not normally the case. I think a lot of people who are on some on some form of welfare need it. There are a lot of cases where some people are abusing it. Absolutely. But if you cut it out entirely, you, right, you, you harm you do more harm than good at that point. So you, there is a balance that needs to be struck. I don't know where it is. Yeah, and then it gets weird when you're on welfare and you're about to get a really good job, but when you get the job, it won't be enough to pay for stuff. So cause I've heard of stories where people don't want to get out of welfare, even though they can, and not because they're lazy, but because as soon as they get out of welfare, they've hit this certain point where they have enough income to you know start supplementing the welfare. The government will take the welfare away, and now exactly. they'll, they'll be back at ground zero. So it is a really... It's hard. It's, it's hard. so hard. And it's, I am not an expert um, on on all of that. So it, it's hard for me to make real opinions about it because I think it's, I think it's, it, I think it's wrong to form an opinion on really incomplete. Like if you are, know that you're ignorant of a lot of the information surrounding something, it's to make an opinion and an argument about it means that you may be spreading misinformation. And I think that in mm. itself is now something like that is a problem, right? Gotcha. You shouldn't say if I know two things about a thing that has a thousand problems part of it. And I like, well, from my perspective of these two things that I do know about, this is completely wrong. Like if I am aware that I'm ignorant of it, it's, it's yeah. I, before I make an opinion or ma before I propagate an opinion, rather I should do more research. So, I'm hesitant to make any comments on that subject simply because I know that I don't know enough about it. Yeah. 
I usually, once an episode, I usually say, listen, no one's coming to us for news. <laughs> because Yeah, I know, and I, I've heard that, and I appreciate that, yeah, that's right, so. You definitely should, if, if you're, <laughs> if the, the most that either of us should do, or any of the other episodes, the most you should do is get you interested in a topic, it shouldn't be something you repeat to someone else. Yeah. That's the, the, the extent of what we're doing here, because, yeah, like you said, listen, I, I have an associate's degree, Okay. And not even one I, I can remember getting. So don't listen to me, all right? If you want to know how to like, use tech tech stuff, let me know. Otherwise, whatever. You're going, to, you have, you're going for your bachelor's or master's? No, I'm going for my uh, MBA. So and, it means so I'm a master's in business administration? Yeah, it means I'm really good at networking, and that's about it. That's about it. I <laughs> was trying to do, um, you know what degree by examination is? Yeah. I was doing that, and I got, in one month, got two college courses completed for $200. It was awesome. But then, because of my student loans, um, I couldn't pay the $200 a month, pay my student loans, go to work, and work on my podcast. So, I stopped doing school, and now I'm just waiting to get my loans away. But it worked really well. And that's what I'm saying. When you said, oh, I'm really good at networking, what... Well, so that's a little bit of an oversimplification. <laughs> I do actually have to work hard and learn no, math I and do a lot you, of stuff. I know you but do, but it's like, I feel like when it comes down to it, like if you're like the businessman... You're just a you're a good gabber. Well, a lot of times it's not about what you know; it's about who you know. And it's how you're able to talk to people. Oh uh, yeah. If you can form <laughs> trust with some, right? Okay, let's let's take an example from from my previous experience in the bridal industry. Oh yeah. So for anyone, let's get into it. For anyone who's not listening, I worked four years. Say for anyone that's not listening. <laughs> Sorry for not uh for who, who's listening who does not know. I my. The, not last four years because I just did a year in school, but for the previous four years before that, I worked at a wedding shop in New York City called Pernovius. It's one of the largest bridal designers oh, in the, the world. All the way in the city? All the way. Okay, sorry. New York City. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought you were mocking the fact that I call it the city. A lot of people from no, other you states- said New York City. I oh, okay. said the city. Okay. Well, there's only one city. It's New York. So it is the city. Well, yeah, of course. But that's a, that's a pretty decent commute. It was like 45 minutes because I'm near a train station. That's a decent commute. I enjoyed it. I love, the, I, I love New York. Absolutely do. I want to move there after graduation just for like a year at least. Just say I did, but also to enjoy the city for a year. You can make it there. You can make it anywhere. (laughs) So when I first got there, and that's funny too, um, I stumbled into that job. So I, when I came home from the academy, it was kind of a, well, I have to do something. So I'm going to take the first job I can get. My sister happened to work at a place called Swiss Post. She got me an interview. I interviewed for this job, basically doing conference service work at Jeffrey's Bank. So I tell people all the time, oh, yeah, I worked at Jeffrey's uh, because the big <laughs> yeah. client. And then when someone, asked, like, and then I, like, after I make that joke, I'm like, wait, well, all I did was work in a conference at Jeffrey's, but it still counts. So I, I'm honest about it, even though I make that joke. Yeah. So through that job, on the train ride home, I saw a girl and I was like, hmm, I'm going to go talk to that girl. Now, I just hung out with some friends. So there was there was a little bit of inebriation involved. Yeah, all right. There you go. And I hit her with the best pickup line you'll ever heard. You ready? <laughs> okay. You ready? Have we taken the train together before? Oh, man. Best line ever, right? <laughs> okay. So terrible line. Anyway, <laughs> uh, she begrudgingly talks to me for whatever the half hour trip that was before she got off the train. Okay. And then we saw each other on the train again. And I was like, huh. I was right. <laughs> I was right. And at first, like, it was kind of weird because I was like, oh, does it look like I'm following this girl? Yeah, that is weird. Okay. Oh, man. But then the third time, I was on the train first, and she walked past me. And I was like, huh, we do take the same train. 
a lot. And then we saw each other on the subway one day and we're like, oh my gosh. It turns out I worked on, on 53rd. She worked on 52nd. We took the same E train back to Penn Station and she was two stops away from me. She was in Watts uh, Essing. I was at Glen Ridge. So in between there was Bloomfield. So yeah, where I grew up. we literally took the same subway and the same NJ Transit train at the same time oh, because we wow. both got out of work at 7 p.m. So after becoming friends with this girl, um, her boyfriend still hates me, even though they're no longer together. Why does he hate you? I don't think he actually still hates me, but he did not like me for a while because we took the train together and there was a guy who hit on her yeah. she became friends. Like, Hell come on. Hell yeah. I, I get it. I'm not mad at him. <laughs> uh, I get it too. I get but it. she, because of that, I would just, if I got out before her, I would just sit and hang out for like 10 minutes at her plate at work just because we were taking the train together yeah. and we would carpool sometimes because we used the same train station. And then one day I met her boss on the train and they were like, huh, we kind of need a new receptionist. You have the gift of gab. Do you want to try out you for the job? And I was like, does it pay better than what I'm doing right now? And they're like, uh, it can, we need you. Well, so <laughs> they didn't say that. I asked that girl. Um, and I was like, huh, well, I'm making X amount. She's like, yeah, you could make so much more doing this. And I was like, cool. So I'm going to try that. And I basically negotiated for a salary that was way more than I would I was should have gotten. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I was very excited. That was also your interview, is well, negotiating so, for, for a wage. Right. So I told them a number I was interested in after they we discussed it. They came back with another number, and I was like, hey, that's not the number we discussed. And they're like, okay. And then they came back with a better number. I was like, I can work with this one. So I worked that job as a receptionist for a bit until I got like, right. And a lot of it was just learning on the go. And in fact, my first day at that job, the other receptionist, right. Cause there's normally two, one got, uh, quit. So the other one was still there. She didn't know I was coming in that day. She had no idea that they hired a new receptionist and she got dental work done that morning. So she looked at me, she was annoyed, right. Cause it was already a bad start to her day. And she looked over at me and said, okay, you're going to sit there. You're not going to talk. If, like, just, just, just don't bother me. If I drool, let me know. Okay. And that was my first day of work there. And we did not like each other, me and that receptionist, although we're like best friends now. Um, cause that's a whole thing, but, but we became very good friends and we still hang out all together, even though neither yeah, yeah. of us work together anymore. But a lot of what I did there was just kind of learning on the go and saying, huh, well, this is something interesting that even though I wouldn't like to learn, I'm here, I might as well, because one of the, you know, you're just introduced to a lot of weird situations. Um, a really good story is one of my first phone calls. I think it was like my second week there. A mom calls and says, hey, my daughter has a breast cup of this, a bra size of this, and the closest relating fruit. And I was like, first of all, how do you know the circumference of what? your daughter's breast? Like, that's weird. Um, and second of all, what is this conversation, right? Because again, it was my first, it was like my yeah, second week there. That's awesome. So I'm sitting there, I put her like, hold please. I put her on hold and I'm like freaking out. I was like, guys, this is what she asked. This is what she said. What do I do? And yeah. they're like laughing. And I was like, someone please take the phone. And they're like, no. And I was like, no, you have to take the phone. And they're like, no. And I was like, oh God. So like I put her back on the phone. I was like, oh, well, she should just come in for an appointment. Like, so you have to like learn to navigate yeah. some weird conversations. Uh, eventually I learned more and more about what I was doing because, you know, if you're going to dive into is something, you might as well dive head first yeah, into it. Yeah. Um, I got a promotion there. 
um, a couple times. I added some responsibilities. Got to the point where I was actually selling wedding dresses at one point. I became part of the management team there. So I know way more about wedding dresses and all that kind of stuff. I don't Isn't remember how we fascinating. Yeah. You just pick up that stuff. Oh yeah. So I don't know how we got in this conversation. Yeah, do I? But I do want to say there was something. a goal here. Right? I think there was. But uh, it's funny that you say that. Like <clears throat> you have to learn what you're doing on the job. My friend who has an episode on this podcast, um, he wa- he went to school for accounting. And he, he looked at me in the eyes. He's like, Mark, I have no idea what I'm doing, and I don't care. He's cheating. He's um, he is like getting A's when he shouldn't be getting A's. He doesn't care, and no one in his class cares either. They're all cheating. And he says, because, Mark, you don't do this at school. You do this on the job. And once I get to the job, that's where I'm going to learn. So I think that's how we got onto the subject, right? Because I'm going Probably. to school for MBA. Yeah, that's what we Right, doing. so... A lot of what we're doing is framing you in such a way that you are able to absorb that new information, right? My finance class is not meant to teach me how the world of finance works in its entirety. Yeah. Right? It does teach me a lot about how the finance works. Yeah, exactly. It gives you a foundation that you can build off and learn from. So you learn enough about a subject, not to become a subject matter expert, but enough to have the ability to absorb new information as it comes. You're going to Rutgers, right? Yeah, I'm going to Rutgers business. how How much longer? I have an internship this summer, and then I'll have a full year of school left, and then hopefully after that I'll have a job. Um, what's the tuition at Rutgers? It's like fourteen for in for in state. For in state, it's about fourteen, not including other fees like insurance and all that kind of stuff. It ends what up being about for? well, like student health insurance. You need that. Well, if it's, I don't have that, I don't have anything. And by the way, that's now I, illegal. I, what's what's illegal? Oh yeah, not having health insurance. Really? Yeah, that's stupid. Well, that's the whole, uh, I mean, that's the whole uh, Obamacare thing, um, which again, I won't get into, but it, it basically makes it illegal not to have health insurance. That's, I don't feel like that's right. Yeah. It, it caused a lot of problems for employers and stuff like that who used to offer benefits and now it's like more expensive too, or they used to be able to like offer it more in pay and now your pay is less because of it. It's a whole weird thing, but it's also just important to have health insurance just well, in case, yeah. you know, like bad things happen to you. It's like I break my arm. Well, my life's over. Yeah. <laughs> I you, got nothing now. So here's a really good example why it's important to have health insurance because the American medical system costs a lot of money, um, which is a whole separate conversation. Yeah. But we kind of glossed over that before. Yeah. So let's talk about I when I was doing one of the woodworking projects, I was trying to make this weird like mosaic pattern. I was rushing. It was freezing I cold outside. I don't, want, I don't know if I want to hear this. Well, story. I didn't. I did. I, I did not pull an RJ. If that's what you're asking. But what an RJ? Wait, I think I know this. We'll have a different conversation about that one afterwards. <laughs> okay. Um, essentially, I was making this mosaic, and the glue was not completely dried because in colder temperatures, either it doesn't set at all, or doesn't set properly, or it just takes longer. I'm not entirely sure, but you should when you're using wood glue. Uh, for anyone out there who wants to try wood glue, if you want it to be really secure, has to be at least 45 degrees. Do not do it in the freezing cold. Do it inside. Um, because when I was running something through the table saw and I had my push stick and everything like that, a piece of that, uh, hardwood, right. Cause I had mahogany launched off and you can kind of still see the remains of it, but it hit me in the finger, oh, God. split my nail, cut me up. I thought I broke my finger. So mm-hmm. I went to the hospital up the street. I at first actually didn't go, but it hurt a lot. My mom was like, you have to go to the hospital because you know, what if it's broken? You're going to have a bad time if it heals wrong. I was like, fine, I'll go. Um, Although I make it sound like I was more reluctant. I was like, oh, God, this hurts. Someone give me some pain bets. Um, so yeah. I went up, and the whole thing ended up costing about, when I was looking at the bill afterwards, it was like over five grand. What? Now, it's, 
it's a really funky system. Now, I didn't have to pay five. Grand. You know why they say you have to ask for an itemized receipt? Because then, because like if you ask for Advil, they cost like $30 per pill, like when you get out of hospital. So if you ask for an actual receipt so you can see everything, you mm-hmm. can dispute what they've charged you. Well, when you have health insurance, the insurance company generally does a lot of that for you. Gotcha. So the health insurance didn't pay five grand. They paid like $1,200. So almost like like only a quarter of what this could cost. Yeah. Because they do a lot of that negotiating for you. And then a lot of your pay is based off of what the insurance company has negotiated downwards. But if I didn't have insurance, it would be really hard to negotiate that $5,000 because, you know, I'm sure they make it hard for you. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. And I get part of that is set up in such a way that you pay that much to ensure that someone who cannot afford their medical care uh-huh. is able to get that medical care anyway. Because, right, the hospital, the world runs on money. Someone has to pay that doctor. Yeah, yeah. Obviously. So in order to afford that doctor for someone who can't pay for it, other people have to pay more. And then there's a whole argument of, well, socialized medicine takes care of that. Well, yeah. it does come out of your taxes. And it's a whole roundabout thing. But um, anyway, that's all to say that it's important to have health insurance. And that's part of the money that I had to pay for my tuition. So, yes, it's about sixteen grand after uh, administrative fees, computer fees, and insurance. But I am on scholarship. <sighs> I'm on an academic scholarship. So. That's that's good, right? Yeah. That's cool. They're doing a lot for you? Oh, it takes a huge... Tr- it takes a lot of the burden off. That's um, great. So, and I, then, I wish I could get a scholarship or something. My God. I got green eyes. Can you get a scholarship for well, that? Well, so here's the thing. I had a 4.0 graduation uh, yeah, well, I from, from so. bachelor's degree, and it took a lot of Ds to get there. And I say that because when you transfer schools on your transcript that you submit later on, it has the GPA only of that school. So the last school I went to... Only had my last classes, and I got A's in all of those last classes. Now, did I have D's in college? Absolutely. Did I fail a class or two in college? Yep. Did it show up on my final oh, transcript? Nope. That is incredible loophole. Yep. Wow. I might be able to pull that off then. <laughs> so I had a 4.0 GPA, and it took a lot of D's to get there. That's funny. That's awesome. Yep. So what do you want to do with this, with uh, the MBA? Like, do you, like, you want to work for a company, or do you want to have your own? Like pipe so, dream kind of stuff. Let's a mix, right? So going back to our conversation before about supporting your lifestyle and the things that you want, using doing things that you don't like to enjoy the things you do. Yeah. I right now I have an internship with Quest that I'm hoping comes to a full time offer after the internship because I can make a lot of money doing that. Um, which would be really nice. So what do I hope to do with that? Right, because making a lot of money in itself. It's kind of like a defeatist, like, right? Like, there's no benefit, right? Um, there's kind of a vanity in that, and then I'm not here for it. I want to I do something useful with it. So how do I make sure that I still make, like, hit all of my passions, plus do something good for my community and, and, and still do some sort of positive impact on the world with those funds? Well, I want to start a wood shop in a different kind of sense than you would normally see. And I think we discussed this before, but yeah, go uh, for, for anybody who knows what a maker, or does not know what a makerspace is, essentially it's like a gym, but with equipment for building things. So you pay a fee, you pay a equipment fee, an insurance fee. It's like a whole package deal. And you once you pay this fee, you get to use everything in that gym, right? Like a membership. Yeah, gym membership. So for a makerspace, it's the same kind of thing. We have all these tools. We have like, a saw or some places it's 3d printers other places it's a cnc machine 
So there's all these tools. You pay for an equipment fee and you pay an insurance fee because if you get hurt, you want to make sure there's insurance on the, like there's, oh, I'm sure there, you have to have insurance on the building and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it would cover basically all that kind of costs and stuff like that. Uh, for a makerspace like this, you probably have to do some training courses to make sure you're qualified to use the machinery. You probably have to sign like a guideline and a waiver saying, hey, I won't be drunk doing this because that's <laughs> a really bad idea. Yeah. Um, which is why I've explained to people many a time that just because I make alcohol does not mean I can have it at my wood shop that I want to have one day. Yeah. Super bad idea. That'd be awful. That'd be so bad. But what I want to do is I want to start a nonprofit. And essentially the goal is to give people access to tools that they either have not, they don't have the funds to or the space to. Uh, to have so part of that goal too when you look at for example a lot of art shops sell things on consignment you paint something or you create a piece of pottery and they put it out a lot of those places take like 50 percent of what the cost is which yeah. is ins- is an insane amount and i get it it's a profit it's 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 a business and i'm not against that right if that's what you sign up for you sign up to work in a, or sell something in a shop that they give you the guidelines so you you sign up for that willingly but I want to give people another option. So my goal is to pay that person that runs that front shop only what it costs to run that shop. And I would hope that, for example, like if someone sells a cutting board like this, rather than they only get 50% of that, which barely costs covers the cost of materials for a lot of people, especially yeah. when you're starting out, and you can't charge, you should charge for your labor, but a lot of people starting out don't charge enough for their labor. Um, How do you calculate labor cost? <laughs> Depends on like the style of the board and, and how long, basically hours essentially. Some people do it on like you do double material for labor, but it it depends on the thing, right? So for the board that we did looked at before, the brick board, yeah, that material was expensive, but the time that it took to put together is way more than that. In fact, if that board is made with Paduke and maple, um, and you can see the different styles, one has a brick pattern that took forever. And this one was way simpler and way easier. So you have to charge different rates for different things um, depending on the time you put in. But like I said, those consignment shops, it sucks because you don't make as much money as you could if you sell it through that. So I want a majority of the money to be made by the creator. So I want them to have a good reason to want to go to that shop because they're... they're Where would you put this place? Right now I'm thinking Brooklyn. Um, I think it has the right clientele. I think it has the right kind of warehouse space to rent. I think that there are enough people in New York or Brooklyn who have too small of a space with a creative dream that want to do something. And I think it'll give them that outlet. Plus, it'll, you know, if I live in Manhattan, it means I can go to my shop on the weekends. What would you call it? Oh, it would still be Oak and Honey. It would still be Oak and Honey? Yeah. That's cool. So. You know how before you were talking about, we were talking, I didn't really I got a following with that brand, so I can't. Oh, can't, yeah, can't you can't. You can't. Which, by the way, you go, you said, yeah, you had nine, seven something. Uh, 972 followers as of last time we discussed and it. And you've been on this for like 50 days? Uh, I've been on since February, so that's been, what, three months? February 13th to March, so whatever. We'll, we'll say like 75 days, which it's probably a little bit less, but. Which, that's a whole conversation in itself. I hate Instagram. <laughs> I can't. It, the reason why, and I'm sure you know this, the reason why you have so many followers is because you're, you're niche. Yeah, you've got oh, I have a category gotta, that resonates with people, and, and it's a simple and subject. You you have a lot of other woodworking friends now, and people that like the person that makes the uh, the bomb for your stuff, right? I don't know. If it's oh yeah, so the wood butter that we butter, use whatever. is um this guy John White Designs. Check him out. I think he's a lucky uh, wood shop on uh, Etsy. 
He does some really cool uh, cutting boards. He helped me. If you scroll up to my uh, American map right. thing, yeah. he Which one? laser cut that for me. So, oh, this one. so I've been doing what's called sticker swaps, and I trade stickers with other makers on Instagram. And one of the ideas I had, I was like, oh, you know, it'd be, it'd be really cool to do on a map. And I have this big space on my wall that used to have a different thing it's up in there. in your room? Yeah, it's my room. Um, and I was like, huh, this would be a really cool spot to do stickers. And I could do a map, and I could try people putting people near their spot. Um, which has become more difficult God, in the Northeast. Send smaller stickers, please. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, you're running out of space. Yeah, I know. The Northeast is kind of a mess. Uh, yeah. One person from Texas was like, whoa, maybe I sent you too big of a sticker. Yeah. I, was like, <laughs> I started laughing. I was like, nah, I'm here for it. Texas isn't full yet, and everything's bigger in Texas, so we're good for it. You're not going to have a board. You're just going to have stickers. Oh, the Northeast. There's nurse. Uh, I'm really, like, I got one thing from Rhode Island, and it barely, because like, Rhode Island's like this big on that board. But that gentleman, he was the one who cut it on his laser because he has this big laser that has a 50-inch by 30-inch cutting surface. And what was awesome about that was that he was just as excited to do it as I was to think of it. And I was like, hey, like, John, you know, we've been corresponding for a while. You give me some advice and stuff. You have a laser cutter. How much would it be to do this? And he's like, okay, well, normally it'd be this, but because we're friends now, uh, I'm going to do it for this. And I was like, what? Awesome. So... Really good guy. I'm super happy. Like, I've made friends like that. In fact, if you look at... So, this coaster has my logo in it, right? But it's yeah. in a hexagon. Uh, Simply Sawdust. Um, her name is uh, Gloria, I believe. And she makes these kind of like... Uh, they're pieces of wood. But oh, they have this like, is like a veneer. Well, yeah. So, it's it's like a wood veneer. It's like It's like an... It's really thin, but it's yeah. It has a 3M oh. like stickers tape oh, background, wow. and so essentially oh, I used awesome. it. Yeah, I used it as a uh, an inlay, and I kind of basically carved out a hexagon for this to fit in. But she makes these on her laser cutter, right? So it's given me all these cool connections and all these cool people like to learn stuff from. So the different patterns I've learned, right? Like that brick pattern, I didn't figure that, that so, out on my own. That was so cool. <laughs> I found that from somebody, and I was like, hey. How do you do this? And then they explain it, or they send me to the YouTube video that explains how to do it. So the community has been phenomenal. You ever see uh, people make rings out of veneer? That's, that's cool. Yeah, at one point I would love to make a wooden ring because yeah. um, I think those are really cool. Yeah, they're uh, really cool. And I, it, not that I am dating anyone, I'm not. So it's a little bit, you know, far to think about. But yeah. I would love to make my own. Uh, uh, yeah, if if Amanda and I ever got married, um, I'd want to actually make a ring. And right. I'm not saying like. I couldn't make it out of wood. Um, I'd like to try, but I want to make it out of like well, like metals and stuff, like figure it out. There are metal working shops that will let you like make rings and stuff like that. I think there's a dude in Pennsylvania called like the Barefoot Blacksmith, yeah. which is terrifying in his own right because he walks around a shop barefoot. Really? But, yeah. He makes engagement rings out of Damascus steel, which I don't know how that works for jewelry because steel rusts, but he does it and he does it. He like sometimes will let people work with them. Yeah, well, because Amanda's got she loves like um her crystals and stuff. Like so, I I know all of her favorite things. So it's like I'd be able to make something really cool just because my yeah. girlfriend's into it anyway. So that'd well, be really awesome. I thought about it. I was like, cool. I would love to learn jewelry setting so I can make an engagement ring. And I was like, mm, someone does this a lot better for me for a lot lower. Well, not lower cost, but like I would lose so much gold. Like you see when people do that stuff because I did a little research on it. Yeah. Um. You have to be able to like catch all the gold filings so you can use it later. And I was like, you know what? And it's not magnetic, right? No, gold, gold's not magnetic. No, it's not magnetic. So it's you can't you, you can't even hold a magnet over it. And be yeah. like I'm catching it all. No, it is a non-ferrous uh, metal, so it does not. 
I think it's funny how gold is basically worthless. All it's good for is conducting electricity. It's like... Well, so, and that's... Because um, you talked about this on one of your episodes. And uh, this, is, this is my correction for you, Mark. Okay, I'm ready. Gold is not worthless. And here's why it holds value um, for its utility. That's what I just because, said. Yeah, uh, well, before even electricity. And the reason it was used as a currency before other things, including silver, which was also used as a currency, but it's not as good as gold. Because it doesn't rust or something? Well, it doesn't go bad? It doesn't rust. It has very specific properties as far as malleability that you can easily tell what it is. And because it's also mintable, like it's like you can, you can stamp you it. You can stamp, yeah. Right? But those are things that you don't find in other currencies, right? So it has longevity, has all these different things. Um, and because of those longevities and easy to tell what the material is, plus like you could stamp it, it makes it perfect for currency. Oh, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah. And that's why for, for however long society has been using gold, that's why they've used gold. It's because it's... Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and nowadays though, it's like, who cares? Well, so, and this is part of the reason we left the gold standard. Um, Which I don't think was a great idea. I I I disagree with you on that, and I think here's the reason why. You look at, for example, silver. Silver got overmined, especially in China, which built basically its currency on on silver. I think at one point, again, not super familiar with the history, but I do know that uh, silver went through a huge inflation because of the amount that was basically being recovered. Um, because it is, right, what makes gold a good currency is because it's limited, right? So you only have so much of it. Yeah, same, the, the majority of it is too far underground for us to even touch, yeah. yeah. So same kind of thing with silver, but at the same time, when you hit a big enough silver vein, you increase the amount of silver you have, you increase the amount of currency that's in the system, you decrease its worth. Yeah. Um, and the reason I think that Gold and silver can be flawed systems is because if you hit a big vein, right, you're really rich for a second, the rest of society loses on that because the number yeah. the amount of currency goes down. So it becomes harder and harder to have the gold standard. Um Well, that's why I think I might have uh didn't explain it correctly when I was talking about like the Fed printing money. Mm. Is um the reason why I have a problem with it and why I think like your money depreciates is because like if let's say grandma and grandpa uh, kept like fifty grand in their like basement eighty years ago. That fifty grand nowadays is, would have been worth like five hundred thousand dollars, but because we keep printing money, it it's not worth as much. Well, yes, and no, right? So you do have inflation that naturally occurs uh, because the amount of money goes up. But the way part of the reason the dollar works the way it does, you have to increase the amount of currency in a system. You have to, right? Because mm-hmm. as more people, the population grows. You have, and that's where cryptocurrency comes in. It fixes yeah. it fixes everything. <laughs> well, I don't think it'll fix everything. I think oh, it just changes things. It makes it different. I don't think it makes it better or worse. I think it'll it'll fix things for a good while, and then we'll be back to where we were. Yeah. So, the part of the way, God, it's so weird. Man. Yeah. Current uh, currency is a little bit weird, right? Because a lot of it is perception. Um, America is a safe haven, which is part of the reason we're able to print as much currency as we do. Uh, safe haven means we're essentially a stable country and economy as well as people who pay back their debts. So it lets us get away with things that shouldn't happen. Like we were able to print out way more currency than we should without inflation. But part of how all that works too is, and again, I am no subject matter expert. I know what I know from a teacher who taught me and I probably am misquoting him. Um, But a lot of how that is built too is um, GDP. So your currency should increase at a similar rate as your gross domestic product. And that's how you keep inflation from happening. Um, if you increase it faster, then you have issues. But again, we're able to get away with things that we shouldn't because of the way 
America has just been able to run in its economy. Yeah. It it just uh it's <clears throat> excuse me. It just scares me. Um it scares everyone with you know with the pandemic and stuff. All the all the money we're money we're printing, all the people we're losing, um, all the policies being passed or changed. So it's like in the moment, yeah, it's it's cruddy. But what is it gonna look like in a decade from now? Like what are we gonna have to like pay back that we, we used up? And I think that's what's scary about it. Well it's kind of funky, right? Uh and someone I was talking to was like, Well, what if China recalls all of its debt? That would well, never happen. But it, what if? What if, right? <laughs> well, what if it would be really bad? Now will China do it all at once? No, because they depend on us for a lot of things too. So to yeah. destroy our economy is I don't even of, want to start talking about China. Yeah. I'll, I'll be here forever and it's probably not a good conversation to get into. Well, but yeah, I mean, it is a good comment. No, people should know more about it. But uh, well, it goes back to: Am I an expert on this subject? Should that's I really be forming an opinion? That's what I'm saying. Probably not. But what I do know is that there is enough of an economic bond there that if they were to say, "Hey, give us all of our money," and we collapsed, China would have serious problems because then we wouldn't be able to pay back those. Yeah, because we're the biggest consumers for China. Oh yeah. So it's like so it's in their best interest to keep us. People yo. are worried. I I myself are worried about like. Uh, China being the new superpower, like in X amount of years, people don't realize that if just tomorrow we decide, all right, we're gonna start manufacturing on our own again, China would collapse. They'd have, they wouldn't have like if ever. I'm saying every country, like just like, all right, we're not gonna rely on China anymore. They'd lose so much. Well, so part of what, and if you look into the history of NAFTA, um, the North American Free Trade Agreement, mm-hmm. uh, and the reason we use a lot of labor from Mexico for like car companies and stuff like that is to help us compete with the cheaper labor of China. So that's what that's built on. But Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's upsetting because it hurts a lot of, you know, American citizens, but it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, so it's like the bigger picture kind of thing. It's kind of annoying. Yeah, I mean, ideally <laughs> you'd have skilled labor in other areas that help fill in those gaps because as technology increases, you need more people to be able to work on that kind of stuff. Um, either as coders or other things. So ideally, those jobs should turn into or evolve into new roles. Although, if you look into the American trades, there's actually a deficit in the amount of workers that are needed for those trades. Like people are looking for skilled laborers, welders, plumbers, and it's well, yeah. harder to find them because less and less people want to well, do trades. Uh, Amanda would tell you that, because um, she's going into welding, that although there might be a lot of people in the classes, a lot of them don't even want to do it. So it's like people might be certified, but they're like not, they don't exist in like the welding world. So it's like they can't, you know. Which is crazy because again, that's such a cool, like welding is cool. You are working metal in ways that it shouldn't be able to work. It's it's awesome. It's pretty cool. It is, it is awesome. Um, So yeah, Amanda, I'm going to need table legs at one point. Yeah. Let's let's talk. Well, my friend Timmy, who's a a diesel mechanic is going to have Amanda weld stuff for him on his truck. Um, cause it's like a 1970s, like it's got a hydraulic bed. So it like dumps things. It's so cool. Um, he's, she's going to weld stuff for him, but, uh, it is really cool. And back to what we were saying before, people grow up, not think that they have to actually put money into what they're trying to do. Um, Amanda got really lucky and found a lot of, you found a community, like you found a woodworking community that's helping her, giving her like glove, like $80 gloves for free, giving her like helmets and like supplies. Like you got to. Last episode, I, I said to you, we talked about hobbies, mm-hmm. and I had the pillars, uh, and one was investment, one was excitement, and one was uh, community, and when you get into something, it's very important to find ways to get each of those. I think community is really big. Well, 
let's combine some of those, right? Community okay. investment. Do you want let, let me grab it. I could hear you keep talking. Let me grab it. Well, so when we talk about, you know, time is an investment too. So when you talk about Amanda, like getting all of this stuff, she probably had to put in some legwork to find the people to oh, give her that man. stuff, right? I can, I can fill your ear about how much work she's put in, not even just for welding, but for life to get to where she is right now. Right. Yeah. So that in itself is an investment. Community doesn't just happen. People that invest in that community, they can invest their time. And to find that community, you have to invest your time. Yeah. Right. So John, the guy I was talking about with the laser cutter and like the wood butter stuff like that, I reached out to him because I was like, you know what? That's a product I don't have. Maybe I can use that. And then we start talking about other stuff and other stuff and other stuff. And again, you have to do the legwork. You have to reach out to people. Part of the reason to do the sticker swaps is to create friends. Again, community, you only are able to get those benefits from the community when you put in the investment that it takes, maybe not just money, but time, right? You reach out to those people. You say, hey, like I, I could be a valuable member and they see that value in you, then they will absolutely invest in you, right? So that person gave... Uh, Amanda. Amanda. Sorry, Amanda. Uh, <laughs> gave Amanda those $80 yeah, gloves. I figure who she is, too. Right. It, it's not about charity. It's about, hey, you may do big things. You may do good things. And you may be a community member I want to have around. So let me invest back into you. Yeah. But again, that started with Amanda's time investment into reaching out to people. And that sweat equity. You, yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Well, so, like, this is the pillars of having a hobby. It's uh, we got investment, excitement, and community. An investment... You invest your money, um, invest time, invest your thoughts. You might not have all three, but you have at least one, okay? In excitement, you're eager to do it, you're prepared to do it, and you're planning to do it. You might never be able to, but you're always trying to plan time. In community, the community, they share. You want to share with people, even if they're not interested, mm -hmm. and then find others. So that's how you know you have, like, a good hobby, something that you enjoy doing that can continue giving you happiness. Um, and she's finding that. You found that. I think it's very important going through life to have something like that. Um not a lot of people can get that though. See, that's where that's where I disagree. You don't think a lot of you think everyone no, I'm saying everyone can get it, but it's hard for people to get there. Oh, it is hard. That's what I'm saying, yeah. And I'll be honest, I had access to stuff that I, I wouldn't normally have access to. I mean, for example, a really good example is the planer, right? I have Uncle Mark's planer. <laughs> A lot of the woodworking I started. You know all the cousins are trying to get that from oh, you? Yeah, I know. Mike is like, come on, I want to, my kids would love it. Yeah, <laughs> he's, like, uh, he's got to come to my house to get it. <laughs> my dad. Um, Uncle Mark and I was, Uncle Mark's like, yeah, you know, you guys figure it out. And I'm yeah. like, I already did. Um, <laughs> I found a permanent home for it unless Uncle Mark I drilled it into the floor. I'm about to. Uh, but, Sure. I absolutely have, and we can have a conversation about what privilege is, right? There's a, there's a really good example about discussing uh, the balls. Like, the, you ever hear the paper balls in a trash can story? No. Okay. So, and this is a totally off topic, but sort of on topic. I'm so, a, a, a teacher trying to teach his students about privileges says, let's have a little game, okay? Anybody who gets... The ball in the trash can gets X benefit. I think it was like either a grade or maybe like a dollar or something like that. Okay. okay. Uh, the person in the front row throws it in. Awesome. Sinks it. Easy. Person in the second row still gets it in pretty easy, but a little bit more difficult. And as you go row by row by row backwards, it becomes way harder to get that same prize because you are farther away from the goal. Mm -hmm. And that's what the whole discussion about what privilege is. Privilege is essentially being in a spot where you are easily, more easily able to ex uh, access that goal. So, yes, will I say I'm privileged and say, yeah, I absolutely was able to, I had. Yeah, we all I, got it. We all got a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I got 
access to things I wouldn't have. I mean, um, our uncle AJ, I always say he has the best toys. I mean, tools. Uh, and I make that joke because he does have a lot of really great tools, like the, the first router I've ever used, stuff like that. Like he has all these stuff and he's been a huge, whether or not like he's actually actively been part of it, he's been a huge help to me pursuing all these things I want to do. I would not be able to build some of the stuff that I would without his help. So, and, and again, those are all that we, we talk about community and stuff like that. But do I think everybody has the ability to reach those things? Yes. Is it harder for some people? Absolutely. But I'll tell you what, someone in a much worse position probably could have gotten those same $80 gloves that Amanda got because they, but would it, would they have had to work harder to find that person who would have given them them gloves? Probably. Yeah. But I don't think it's impossible for people to reach things. I think it's hard and I think it's harder depending on what position you're in, but I think you can reach. And again, this is the discussion of passion and that's why I hate that word because a lot of people are like, well, I want to find my passion. No, you have to go after it it's that sweat equity it's that deciding that that's what you want to do and you're going to do whatever it takes to get there it it really it really upsets me to talking to cody Jaffe, like episode 23 or something and he um was talking about i actually posted this on instagram today it's like how much hard work is necessary you know how much do you need to do to get to where you want to be and to feel feel fulfilled and i feel like a lot of people will get into a burnout mode. They'll, they will try. They'll, they know what you just said is true and they'll try really hard. And once they get to a point where they're starting to burn out, they're starting not to like it, they have to make a decision. This is either part of the grind and I'm going to like this and I'm finding my way or this isn't for me. And it's hard to make the distinction. So then, and, and this is where, and you know, we had this conversation about philosophy at one point. Um, I think it was either Aristotle or Socrates or Plato one of them talked about the basis of communication is trying to define the, like the word and we each have different definitions. So yes, let's look at burnout for a second in the way you just described it um, and also take it back to David Goggins. He got to that same point that probably a lot of other people did where he spent too much time doing a thing and it sucked. Yeah. I think a lot of people will say, oh, well, I hit a burnout, so I'm done. Where he said... This sucks and I'm going to keep doing it. So burnout, is it possible? Absolutely. Can it totally happen? Yes. I think for a lot of people, they mistake difficulty for burnout. I think they hit a spot where they're like, you know what? This is hard and I, it sucks. And they say, I don't want to do that anymore. And I think that is not burnout. I think that's just deciding that you're not passionate about a thing, which there's nothing wrong with. Or deciding that your passion is not like, you know, it's it, or maybe it's it's putting too much stress on other parts of your life. I mean, Things can, right, you could say, I want to do this forever, but when it starts to put a burden on things that are more important, like, you know, family or stability or other things. The balance. Right. You have to do balance, and I get that. So I'm not going to say that those things aren't possible. I mean, burnout is absolutely possible, and you can hit points where you're like, you know what, this isn't what I'm about anymore. But I think a lot of people also hit a point where they're like, this is difficult, and I don't want to do that anymore. So I think we have to, right, that goes back to the whole thing with, again, and I, I, I've said it too many times on this podcast, but I hate the word passion because too many people say they're passionate about something and then run away. Um, burnout, I think, can be an excuse sometimes. Now, yeah. again, it is totally real. You can go into a thing, spend way too much well, time. What's effort. burnout to you then? What, what's again, the- I, that, that's the thing. I, there's the two extremes, and I am not in that person's head to define whether or not they've burned out or whether then. 
But I think burnout, it, it's totally possible to overexpose yourself and do too much in a thing and say, you know what, I have spent too much energy on this. And I think burnout, right, is when it starts to put a burden on all those other parts, when you when your health starts failing, when, you're, when your life starts going down. Like, if you stress out yourself so much so that it takes a toll on everything else you do, I think that's where burnout occurs. Okay. Because um, cause I think about, you know, when you start to wake up in the morning and you're upset that that happened at all. Why? Is it because, you know, you have a chemical imbalance or is it because you're unhappy with the way you're conducting your life? And it's hard to know whether or not you just aren't disciplined enough to go through the hard work. You've been raised maybe incorrectly, maybe in a bad house, and you, like, don't realize that this is just part of life. Or maybe you are just depressed. Like, it's hard to, and I talked about it with Cody, it's hard to make the distinction between all these different things. Am I depressed? Is this not the right thing for me? Do I not like this job? Um, what, is it my fault that I, I don't like this thing? Am I just tired? Am I sick? Like there's so many and it's hard to know yourself. So to find something you like to do, find something you enjoy. And then do you not like it later on? Is, am I burnt out? Do I really not like this? It's so hard to make the distinction. Oh, absolutely. All these things. And I'm not trying to say that this isn't easy. You go it's one not, way or yeah, the other. It's not it's easy. Not. And you wish that like the Royal, you, you wish that you were able to f- know how to find the straight answer, you know? And the fear I feel like, not only I have, but a lot of people have, is that it's not burnout. I'm just, uh, I just got to work a little bit harder right now. The fear is that you work harder thinking I just got to get over this hump, but it's really not a hump. And in reality, you just don't like it. It's weird. Well, so I think there's, in that that moment, there's a decision, right? So, and, and you're right. You could keep trying to fight over that hump. I think, what a lot of people end up doing is they get to that hump and then they don't try to get over it. And then you never know. But I think it's worse to not have that question answered, right? I think wasting a lot of time and effort in something sucks, right? And looking back and saying, yes, wow, I just did all of that, <laughs> right? And it didn't yeah. get me what I wanted or it didn't give me the feeling that I needed or et cetera. But I, is that worse than going after something and deciding not to do it and then never knowing? Because I feel like that regret, right? We don't regret the things we do as much as we regret things we didn't do. Gotcha. Makes sense. Yeah, of course. Of course, you don't want to. Uh, you don't. You want to look back on life and feel like you didn't miss out on anything, yeah. like having regrets. So, what would you, what would you say to Gen Z? Right, like if if you had a, I think about this pretty frequently. Not because suck it up, Buttercup. <laughs> not because <laughs> not because I um, I want this as soon as possible, but. I think, well, what would I do if I had a son or daughter? How would I get, prepare them for a world that I don't, I haven't figured out yet? If you had a child tomorrow, you woke up and you had a five-year-old son. Be like, dear God, this kid's screwed. Yeah, like, like <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that, but not even that you were going to say this to them. But what would you say to yourself for you getting ready to prepare them for life? It's a hard question to answer, and it's not one you're going to have an, the same answer for every day. So. The goal of every parent is to screw up their kid a little bit less than their parents screwed them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Essentially, that's it. Right. Yeah. That's their job. And uh, realizing your parents aren't perfect is a really hard thing as a kid. I think that yeah. the day that you meet that transition, you're like, Whoa. I remember the day that happened to me. Yeah. It was in 2008, or not the day. I meant the year. 2008. Mm-hmm. I realized that. Yeah. When you when you realize your parents are just other people trying to figure out their way in the world, it's yeah, kind of a mind shattering thing. Um. But, right, ideally my goal is to make 
if I if I had a kid, it would it would be to to make their lives better than what I had, and that's a tough task because when you look back at it, and I've had a I've had a pretty pretty good life. I mean, yeah. I've had pretty as much as I've had my problems. Right, we all have our own journeys. Um, I've been put in a good spot. I, I have a wonderful family. I have yep twenty. Well, I'm twenty number. I'm number fifteen out of twenty eight or twenty nine grandkids, yep. not including all of the adopted kids or uh, the newcomers to the block or. <laughs> Right, or, so or, or Jolie, well, Jolie, yeah, <laughs> not, not including him. We have like ten cousin thirties. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I've had built-in friends over the years. Um, my brothers and I text each other every once in a while. I mean, it may be rare, but it's always fun, um, and we always know we're thinking about each other. Um, so we're still close, even when we're far away. Like Jake's in Japan, and but I still every once in a while like, hey, Jake, like here's this random. Th- It'll text me a random thing. And it'll be the highlight of my day because even though we hadn't talked in like a month, I'm like every day, I know that he's thinking about me and I I know he knows that I'm thinking about him. So we're still close in such a way that we don't necessarily need to communicate every moment, which I think is kind of a problem for Gen Z since we're looking at that too. Yeah. Um, but so I, I know I have a hard, that's all to say. I really have a hard task in front of me that if I had a kid, like how do I make that kid's life better than mine? I've had a pretty damn good life. Yeah. Um, so our goal is, you know, to help them navigate the world and stuff like that. But, um, as far as like a message to Gen Z, I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, you got to deal with yourself a little bit more, right? Uh, we, we can have a conversation about, let's, let's look up board games. Um, board games and tabletop games in general have been made a re- huge resurgence. Um, I think in the past couple of years, uh, game, well, yeah, but like Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. uh, we've talked about before yeah. has made like it's highest sales in years in the past couple of years, even before COVID because we as a culture are starving for human interaction. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the biggest hurdle that Gen Z is going to have to figure out is, is when to stop letting technology take over that interaction because what you'll see, especially like, like a high school couple. Um, I remember hearing some teacher tell me about this, uh, there was a girl who's having trouble with her boyfriend. Not that anything is real in high school, but I mean, I know people who've gotten married from high school, so I can't say it's not real, but especially in the generation now, you are in that class with that kid all the time. You're probably texting that person on your breaks, and then you go home and you continue texting that person. And there's never a break from that person. And that's what mass communication has done to people. There's never a break from other people. And because of that, I think it actually causes issues with relationships yeah. right because there's never a time to process the conversations you've had there's never a time to have something new when you're texting someone all day every day when you go actually sit in front of them what do you talk about yeah. so right gen z is gonna have to deal with that and and we were already seeing people deal with that that's why things like dungeons and dragons be made a resurgence is is because people are starving for authentic human interaction yes so my biggest advice to gen z is get off your phone Get off it. And that's I hate, a lot of sense. Right? We talked about Instagram earlier. I hate Instagram because because of and I will say some of the biggest the biggest downside of of the woodworking that I've faced is the amount of time that I have to spend on Instagram, which isn't much in like the grand scheme of things, right? Yeah. Compared to like people who actually make a living off that stuff. Or actually I spend probably mess, less time than most humans do on Instagram because well, I you just, can find out if you go to your uh screen time. I don't want to know. But I, I set limits online. Uh, I really should, but oh, my, and my friend, my friend Johnny, he removes the color from his phone so he gets no dopamine, dopamine when he looks at it. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, he makes it black and white. So that's that. 
Well, the problem is a lot of what I do has color in yeah. it. So I, I, and I have to pay attention, right? Because anything yeah. that's art-related, you have to pay attention to that. But because of that, there's times where I'm like on my phone playing with Instagram. And I'm like, I don't even want to be on I here. I don't even want to be on here. What am I doing? Right? So it's like I'm spending a lot of time just looking at stupid things because of it. And that drives me insane because I don't want to. I enjoy not being on my phone. Yeah. I will leave my phone in other rooms. And I know people who can't do that. Like if their phone is not in the same 10 feet vicinity with them, they're like, where's my phone? And I'm like, that's a problem, right? I'll put my phone somewhere else and I'll be like, I don't want to look at this for like yeah. an hour. I've gotten worse with age, but when I, but when I was younger, I was able to like, let go of it. But yeah. Because, right. And that goes back to the whole thing. We weren't evolved to sit and look at our phones all day. No, of course not. We weren't involved, evolved to have... We're social beings, no doubt about it, right? We need to have interaction. But we weren't set up to have interaction 24-7. Of course not. But that's what we have access to on our phone is we have interaction 24-7. And that's that's an issue. So people... I'll, I have conversations with... Am I a great texter? No. Do I respond like <laughs> relatively quickly better than some people? Sure. I remember, it's, it, I remember... No, hold on. You probably got better. But I remember like when I was like... Maybe, like Four years ago, I'd text you and I'd hear from you a month later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what, what Wait, the hell? What's you happening? texted me like earlier this year, you texted me. And I'm like seven days later, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. By the way, what? <laughs> I responded to it. So so I'm not the bad. I know I'm bad sometimes. Like it. And let's be honest. I not. I'm sorry, Marky. Not sorry. Sometimes it just happens to do with how much I really want to interact with that person. Yeah. Um, and like I'm bad. So like if we have like 10 texts in a row, I stop wanting to text you. I know. I agree. Um. I remember one time we were texting, like... About, like, the Lord of the Rings video. And game. I was like, bro, this is going on too long. Yes, like, all the time. I was, like, waiting for you to stop responding so I could breathe. Oh, <laughs> all the time. So I'm glad we both feel that way, right? <laughs> like, please stop. So, like, I'll be in a conversation <laughs> with somebody oh over text, God. and I'll be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So what do I do now? And how do I tell that person nicely stop talking? Well, when, you a, can't. when Amanda and I started dating, um, she said that I was the first person that would never talk to her over the phone, like text her. And she said that it was like weird for her because most of her other boyfriends would. So like I would literally never hear from Amanda until like the day we saw each other. And it was, it's the greatest thing ever. Because everything is fresh and new to talk yeah, about. it's the greatest thing ever. Right? Like every interaction yeah. becomes special because you have not been interacting for so much. Right? Absolutely. It's uh, inoculation, right? Like the, you, you submit yourself to something too much. You become immune to its effects. You talk all... So, so, or it becomes the, the, the impact of those effects are lessened. So if I spend every minute of every day telling you how my day is going, when I finally see you and talk about it, like, you're oh kind of like, oh, I've already heard about this. Please stop. Now, yeah. if we don't talk about it at all, like this conversation is fun because <laughs> we don't talk <laughs> much. Yeah, even, so there's yeah. so much to talk about. Is, every yeah, subject exactly. about it is fun and interesting to us. And yeah, that's one of the cool things. I mean, like in the podcast, it takes a lot of work. It's kills me sometimes but the coolest thing about it is to be able to uh you know invite random people like i think about like 10 of the people i've had on i've never have, had a conversation with before in my entire life so it's very interesting talking to people that are nothing so about everything about that conversation is new. is new everything and that's beautiful that's one of the reasons why you have kids too so going back to that is because you want to witness life through someone else right absolutely um absolutely so that's Something I guess we hope to give our next generation. That was my phone that just buzzed. Oh, I was like, "What is that fucking?" Um, right. We're hoping to give our next generation authentic interaction. I think is what is is what I hope for them. Which I don't know how easy that's going to be. I think it's only going to get harder because it's already very difficult. Yeah, I I can't tell you how many people I've talked to. Like, they hate phone calls. 
a lot of our generation hates phone calls. I personally like them. That's my, I, I 100% rather call someone and text them. Me and my friend Timmy, that's the, one of the only ways we communicate yeah. if we're not in their same room. Um, one of my good friends, we barely text each other, but I talk to him on the phone like every other yeah. day. Yeah. And I always enjoy the conversation because it's a conversation. It's not a text. You don't have to think about it. The other part of the problem with texting too is you lose the authenticity in it. Um, I think when you are able to plan what you say. Now, there's some benefits, right? Because you can say you're having a discussion with somebody. You can think about the next thing you say before you say it. Yeah, it, it does have some benefits. Can. It does. But at the same time, too, you lose things like inflection. Yeah, you don't know what their eyebrows are doing. You don't know right? if they're angry, they're happy. Like, I, what, what so, are you saying to me right now? I once told someone, the part of the reason I hate texting is when I'm in when I'm talking to somebody, I don't want them to think that my text was too mean. Yes. I want them to know that I actually meant to be mean when I say it. Oh. Right? Oh. Right? I want them to know I'm being mean, not wonder whether or not I'm being mean. Um, which is mostly a joke. I'm not that mean of a human being, even though I tell people all the time. Well, it's necessary sometimes. I mean, you know, you gotta let them know. Like, well, listen, I'm yes. being serious. I, I, I would argue I'm not the nicest of deliveries, like, or I'm not the person who gives the nicest of deliveries. It's the Gerbino delivery. Yeah. We're all very good at yeah. being exactly what kind of emotion I, we want to be. Well, I want you to know what I'm like, right? I don't beat around the bush. I'm blunt. If something's wrong, fix it. I'll tell you to fix it. Like, I, I, I hate people... I hate passive aggressive people. Um, yeah, yeah, I can't stand it. Um, that's in fact, this is <laughs> confuses people. Like, right? What are you telling? What are you trying to say to me? Please. So, did I ever tell you uh, the airplane story? When pe- okay, so <laughs> when I was coming back from Alaska on a trip that I was on back in college, um, where I hiked on glaciers, that's a fun story in general. But. All right. We're on the plane ride back. By the way, that entire trip, as much as fun as it was, the people that instructed us were totally hippie-ish. When someone was doing something wrong, they wouldn't be like, Johnny, get off the rock. They'd be like, Johnny, if you know, it would be nice if you could just not be on the rock because it could be dangerous, you know, and you shouldn't do it. I was like, just just tell someone to get off the rock, God. Um, So I'm on the plane ride home. I'm in an aisle seat because I prefer the aisle seat just because, you know, I want to get up to go to the bathroom or want to do anything, right? Um... As much as I love the window seat, it's sometimes just better to have freedom of yeah. whatever. So I'm sitting in an aisle seat. Then there's a person across from the aisle. She's sitting in that seat. And then there's a gentleman sitting next to her. So while we're sitting waiting for the, or maybe it was like mid-flight, uh, the, uh, what do you call them? Uh, airline stewardess? Stewardess? The stewardess? Yeah. yeah. Uh, she comes back and there's a woman standing next to her. And the woman, the stewardess is like, um, the flight attendant, that's what it is. Flight uh, attendant, thank you. Uh, so she goes to the, the woman sitting in the aisle next, or like across the aisle from me. She's like, hello. Um, she's wondering if she could switch seats with you because her boyfriend's sitting next to you. And the girl was like very nice, but she's like, oh yeah, like I wouldn't mind that, but like what, what seat is she sitting in? So the airline stewardess looks back at the person behind her. The person behind her speaks to the airline, the flight attendant just goes, oh, well, I'm sitting in the window seat. So the flight attendant looks back at the person in the aisle. Oh, well, she's sitting in a, like, we're, we're playing a telephone game, but everybody's within yeah, hearing. Yeah, well, why can't you? I know, a whole thing. Well, so the girl sitting in the aisle seat was like, oh, well, I'm not sure if I, you know, like, I, I booked a aisle seat on purpose because I'd rather sit in an aisle. And, like, both of them are being, like, wishy-washy about it. And, like, I don't blame the girl. The girl was in a weird spot where she's like, oh, well, I don't want to have a crappy seat. But the flight attendant was stuck in the middle of this conversation. But, and it was like all very, and again, I was sick of all this wishy-washy BS yeah. from the trip I was just on. I was like, you know what? Okay, you, across the aisle from me, you take my aisle seat. You, sit next to your boyfriend. 
me. I'll sit wherever she was sitting so this conversation ends. I said it a little bit nicer than that, but I was kind of like yeah. aggressive about it. And the airline tendon starts laughing. She's like, okay, that works. Yeah. Um, so she walks over to me. She's like, I've never seen that before. Thank you for helping out in I've this situation. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. Because again, people, here's, here's my number. <laughs> uh, no. Um, but she did give me a free beer and, oh, that's cool. uh, did not ask for my age at the time, which was, I think only 18 or 19. Oh, so, <laughs> wow. This was a while ago. So, sh- Dad, don't listen to this. Uh, <laughs> but so I got uh, a, uh, yeah, I got a free beer out of the deal for just, you know, getting sick of people being wishy-washy about something. And I don't remember how, oh, texts. So I don't, I don't deal with passive aggressive. Yeah. Well, I don't like, I, I like being blunt. I like just information being passed and that's the end of it because communication is so much more efficient that way. And as much as like, I just don't like being around the bush, right? Um, the way I deal with conflicts is the same way. I, I, if something's wrong, we talk about it and we get it out in the air because if it sits there and festers, everyone's unhappy. People are really bad to, I've, I've experienced this firsthand. People are so not used to having, not, it doesn't even have to be polite, but like discourse where something's actually solved. People are so not used to that, that they don't even know how to discuss things. They did, they don't know, they don't know how to speak their mind. So it's like, I have a problem with most of, not really my friends that you would know, my family, know, but there's a lot of people in my life that when I discuss something, because I'm in the family I'm in, I'm so used to talking and saying exactly what I want to yeah. say that a lot of my friends aren't used to that. And they don't know how to, um, they do know how, but not with their friend, maybe with their family. They don't know how to actually talk about a problem. Well, so who, funny that you bring that up. Um, my mom, who married into our family, right? Uh, yeah, she God comes from um, a much more reserved family who didn't talk about as much uh, as, like, not the same way we do, because right, yeah. we're loud, boisterous Italians. No one talks about things the way we do. Yeah. But she would laugh because she would look at a conversation that um, when she was growing <laughs> right, when she would come over and visit my father, she'd come over, she would see one of our uncles having an argument with our grandfather, and it would be these loud, like, well, no, you're wrong. No, well, you're wrong. And then grandma would be like, dinner time. And everybody's like, yay. <laughs> and it's like, mom would look at her, like, what is that? So, yeah. right, but what that does, right, okay, it's conflict, and it's a lot. It is a lot for people to handle. Yeah. I get it. But you know what that does? That means the issue is no longer on the table. Like, it's we're just he- gone. Yeah, we're, we're humans, done. and we got to get, get it out there. And then once, well, once it's over, it's over. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that's just a freeing feeling. I hate, I don't know how people sit and fester with things. because Bro. I. Yeah, man. I'm like, uh, Amanda and I have been, om- in, in October, it'll be three years for Amanda and I. Like, I'm sure you understand how hard it was for her to be introduced to this family, like all the other spouses and girlfriends and boyfriends. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? She's not used, especially with my stepbrothers, who are are equally as loud. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Like, somehow that happened. Yeah. She was so, it was, she was blindsided. No, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, it's always a lot. It's very, so I love seeing the first interactions with uh, significant others in the Rapino family. Yeah. Because it's a lot. Yeah, um, it's 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 like the <laughs> biggest filter that was ever made, like to know if like they're 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 yeah. good, they're ready for it. It's it's a it's a test. That's why uh, RJ RJ's wife um Avery Avery was so oh, amazing. she jumped in with both. Oh feet. my, she had God. so much fun, and she still has fun with it. You see it every time. Avery, I, if she's listening, Avery, I love you, and it's so much fun to see you interact <laughs> with people. Oh my gosh, she's great. I remember we all knew too. Yeah, that's that's gonna be a thing. Didn't they like camp? outside for one of the weddings or something like I on would, the highway not that i know of but i, think I'm, they I wouldn't did. be surprised i think i don't know whose wedding it was honestly if you told me and you were lying i would not question it because I'm it totally sure. seems like something they would do yeah 
But listen, man, hey, this was great. I had so much fun. Um, thank you for bringing all this stuff. Oh, my pleasure. I mean, you only get to keep some of it, but yeah, I'm obviously I'm not gonna. Who's this? The the uh, how do you say that? Alates, Alates. I'm not entirely sure. I'm gonna have to ask her. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, yeah, thank you so much. This is this is fantastic. Yeah, um, I had a great time. Um, I had a you know. Um, got to listen to your beautiful voice. You know, I was told I have a great face for radio. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Shut the <laughs> get out of here. Um, it was great, and like I know you said that you wanted to be the the guy that gets the mic right, the mic awareness, because no one, no one, everyone's always talking out over here. No one's actually honest. Thank you a lot for that. Well, every episode you always go, eat the microphone, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> eat the microphone. Well, exactly. I, yeah. Now? The dynamic mics. Um, thank you again, guys. Um, I'm gonna put all of uh, Evan's stuff in the description. Um, Instagram, you got your Teespring. I'm, I'm gonna put everything. We'll yeah. talk about it later. Um. Buy boards, buy merch. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, thank and you so much for watching. check out the makers I talked about. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, that's it. Thank you, everybody, for watching, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Thank you, everybody.